is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, listeners. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 157 for Monday, March the 31st, 2014. We have a very exciting show coming up this week. I'm super excited about this week. You know why? One of the reasons? You're uh, you're back in The Talking Dead studios I for the first in time. in the studio. In a year, maybe. I don't think it's been a year, but it's been quite some time. It's been a while. Yeah, it's exciting. You you decided to come back here just to celebrate the finale and uh and pick up the stuff you got for me uh from Chicago. <laughs> That's true too. <laughs> Cuz we never see each other anymore, right? No, not in real meat space, no. Yeah. The well, same meat sphere we're in right now. That's right. We we generally stick to Skype because I don't want to be in your meat sphere. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You know, so... I don't know how many times you told me that. Yeah, really. So it's it's good to be back in the same room uh, for today. So that's that's one special thing that's happening right now. Right. The other special thing is that we have a surprise coming up later on in the podcast. A surprise for me? No, it's you and I both already know about it. Oh, okay. So it's not. It, 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 I don't know what it is right now. So I'll, I'll be surprised as well. Surprise for the listeners coming Excellent. up later. Cool. Um, and of course, we're here. Our main purpose is to recap the season finale. Yay! Which has now aired. So season four has come and gone, and we are going to break down the final episode before we call it a night for the summer. Right. Which isn't really going to happen. We'll probably have lots of fun stuff to oh, do yeah. in the summer. Oh yeah. So the first thing, though, today is the deadline for our Record Your Favorite Scene contest. Yeah. Tonight at midnight, um, which this podcast may not even get out before midnight, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. If it does, you might have like a half an hour to hear this message before the deadline. But I also threw it up on our Facebook page, so if you're paying attention there, you will know or you will be reminded that the deadline is tonight. We will be announcing the winner on Wednesday's podcast, which is two days from now. Mm-hmm. So we will re-listen to all of the entries and choose our favorite, and that'll be the winner. That, that'll be awesome. You know what thing we never did, though, Jason? What thing did we never did? We, <laughs> is, that, is that what I said? No. <laughs> well, you said, what, you know what thing we never did? Right. And then I said, no, what thing did we never did? What we never did is tell people what they can win. Oh. Did, did, did you ever realize that? No, it's not just, you know, bragging rights and that. You do get, definitely get bragging rights, but there's an actual prize involved. Exciting. And I must admit, the reason we didn't announce it when we first started this contest is because I didn't really have the prize lined up yet. I had to go over to the Talking Dead prize vault, search through it, dig through some stuff, reach way down deep inside to find something to give to the winner of this contest. You have to move the bike aside, and there's like a couple of exercise machines in there. and <laughs> I got a treadmill know, boxes. in the way. Yeah, there's treadmills in the way. There's a bunch of boxes. And, you know, the, the vault is very deep and very wide, and uh, there's a lot of uh, a swag, swag in there. <laughs> so you, you reach deep, deep in, deep behind, and uh, AKA, came out. A.K.A. my garage. Your no. garage. What, uh, <laughs> what did you find? Uh I have a pretty good prize, I think. It is a 10-inch McFarlane Daryl Dixon. It is the, the deluxe. A 10-inch Dixon? That's right. We named one of our episodes when we first talked about this, 10 Inches of Dixon. That's awesome. So you, if you are the winner, because we chose your entry as our favorite, you get 
10 inches of Dixon. That 10 inches of Dixon. That's awesome. So it's the McFarland Toys 10-inch Deluxe Daryl Dixon. It's really, really cool. And uh, we'll send it to you wherever you are within reason. If you're on the moon, I'm not mailing it there. Yeah, it's, you know, scope is planet Earth. Planet Earth. I right. mean, we'll send it to you, but you know, you got a you know postage paid kind of thing. Well, exactly. If you can pay for it, we'll get it to you. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty cool. I think. I I think that's a pretty fun prize. Um, and we're going to play one final entry in the uh, in the contest right here, right now, to to wet your appetite and uh, hope it inspires some. Final last-minute entries. I'm excited. <laughs> Even if you only have like 10 minutes before midnight. Anyways, <laughs> this comes from Mike in Grayson, Kentucky. But don't you see, if we do this, the people that we were, the world that we knew is dead. And this new world is ugly. It's, it's harsh. It's survival of the fittest. And that's a world I don't want to live in. And I don't, and I don't believe that any of you do. I can't. So please, let's just do what's right. Isn't there anybody else going to stand with me? All right. Thank awesome. you very much, Mike. Another another Dale speech. Dale's very popular. He has been popular. We've gotten mostly... He's got some good speeches. He's well, got a good couple of monologues that uh, to draw from, so it's uh, very uh, exciting to do. Dale. No, it is. And that's, I mean, that's what you get when you are the moral center of the show for a while. Right. You know, Dale had those monologues, Herschel had those monologues, and they're both dead. Well, what does that tell you? <laughs> this show has no morals. <laughs> <laughs> or do a monologue and die. Yeah, do a monologue and you're toast. Yeah. All right. So thanks, everybody, for sending those in. You have a few more hours to do so. And I look forward to picking a favorite for Wednesday. To win 10 inches of Dixon. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's get into the main portion of the show here, Jason. And this is a recap of the season finale, episode 16 of season four, titled... Hey. Hey. <laughs> titled A. <laughs> Thank you very much to uh, Rada from the internet. I apologize if that's not how you pronounce your name. But... Uh, you know, that was a recording of the title for us, which awesome. we haven't had in a while. So that's fancy. Wanted to play that. And uh, hopefully in season five, we can find someone who will record the titles for us every week. Maybe it will be Rada, maybe not. But uh, I do like having that little bumper title reading in there. Yeah, no, that's so, nice. And I don't want to do it myself. Well, of course not. And no offense, I don't want you to do it. Nobody wants you to do it. And nobody wants me to do it. That's very, very true. So we need to find someone competent and capable who is able to do that for us for nothing, <laughs> except the glory of hearing your own voice every week. <laughs> yes, the, the glory. Not yeah. even power and glory. It's just glory. Just glory. That's all. All right, let's start the recap. We open gates of the prison opening. Huh. Yeah. Back at the prison. Are you watching along this week or not? I'm not. No. Should I? No, I'm just wondering because you usually do. Yeah, I know this is going to be a, a you know a, a change for me. Usually I... I don't know if you you know this. You know this, but I don't know if the listeners know this. But I actually play it alongside of the recap, and you know, jump around because sometimes we get a little bit behind, sometimes we get a little bit ahead. But uh, <laughs> that way, I can spot things. Like if we need to delve into something a little deeper, I can uh, I can actually go to the go to the tape. Go but to the tape. Not this week. I'm just going to play it just from memory. Okay, that's good. That's it's a difference because you're here. Yeah. Okay, so we start at the prison gates opening. Interesting to see the prison all of a sudden again. Yeah, and in comes a Dodge. That's right. It's not a Hyundai. It's not a Hyundai. It's a Dodge. Okay, so Rick drives in, and there's you know people killing walkers at the fence, stuff like that. 
Maggie and Glenn uh, get out. They go to talk to Herschel. And Rick goes to talk to Carl. So we're clearly in the past again here. Oh, yeah. Or not again, but we are now in the past. We're seeing a flashback. It is a flashback. Um, Carol and Tyrese are there, too. So the whole whole gang is hanging around. Rick goes off to kill some walkers at the fence. And hard cut to Rick sitting against the car just covered in blood. Yes. Like bloody hands, bloody face. He's just sitting there very quietly. He seems to be somewhat traumatized. He looks uh, like he's just been in a scrap. Yeah, and something that has upset him greatly. Yeah. Right? He's just sitting there. And the camera cuts back and forth, like close up of his eyes, back wide shot a bit. But nobody else seems to be around that mm-hmm. we can tell at this time. And we go to opening credits. So unusual cold open. Fun. Definitely fun. It is It is a. Uh, it is a flashback. First one in a little while. It did not occur to me that we'd get flashbacks in this episode. I don't know why. I just figured we'd be all current story all the time, getting Terminus, dealing with the wild dogs, all that stuff. But no, here we are starting back at the prison. I don't have expectations going in, so I didn't think that whether, you know, the flashback didn't throw me at all. I don't know if it threw you, but, you know, if you were expecting not to have flashbacks and there was a flashback, you might have been confused and had to go upstairs and ask your wife what was going on. Well, she sits there watching it with me, so I said to her, what the hell is going on? Right, and she explained it to you because uh, she's good at TV. She's not a dummy. Yeah, so, uh, and you are. (laughs) Generally, most of the time. Right. So... Uh, we come back from opening credits. We got Rick, Carl, and Michonne in the forest. They're sitting around cooking uh, around a fire, talking about how hungry they are. Right. And then they put the fire out and go to check on some snares. Right. They're catching animals. Yeah, because snares are uh, a good place to catch food. <laughs> That's what you use a snare for. Yeah. Uh, on the way there, they talk about being close to Terminus, and Carl wants to know if they're going to tell them the truth when they get there about who they are and what they've done and what's happened to them. And he's kind of wondering, like, well, you know, we've, we've done all this bad stuff. We've seen all this bad stuff. And Carl's like, even if we tell them something, who are we? Like, what do we tell them about ourselves? Yeah. Um, that's, I think, his young immaturity showing through a little bit. I'm not saying that the adults have any clearer picture of, of who they are. Right. But Carl is the one kind of thinking about it. So maybe in that way it shows a more a maturity. Right. Which persona would you like me to portray? And uh, which one would you like me to adopt as reality? Yeah. Just tell me now, because when I get there, I'm not going to know what to do. Yeah. Right? I've known people like that my whole life. Have you? Yeah. It's just they want to know which uh, which persona to, to adopt. How many do they have generally? Well, it's not a matter of, you know, multiple personalities. It's just a matter of which, uh, how would you like, to, what personality would you like me to project in this particular situation sure well every situation requires a different approach maybe yeah but it doesn't necessarily go to the extent of in constructing a whole new personality specifically for that event (laughs) that would be people you know yes it would so as they're talking a zombie comes out of the forest and they pretty easily just kill it yeah uh, but I did like their their organized approach right you send in Michonne to go first because you know why waste ammo but you know watch her back Mm-hmm. And uh, just in case things get a little weird. The two men, though, Carl and, and Rick have their guns up. She goes in with the sword. And then we hear the zombie go down. We don't even see it. Right. But clearly they had no trouble with it. So they come to a trap, one of the snares, and there's a rabbit in it. And Rick explains how the trap works with a slip knot, and you force the animal through one direction, and it goes in, and it tightens around its neck. 
Uh, he sort of teaches them both how it works, right. which is good knowledge. But all of a sudden, they hear a guy calling for help. And Carl immediately gets up and starts running, even though his dad is yelling at him to basically hold up. Yeah. Um, so they get to a clearing. They see a guy surrounded by zombies. There's lots of them there. Carl draws his gun, but Rick pulls him back and says, we can't help him. And they basically stand there behind the tree line just watching the guy get eaten. Well, they can't help him because one of the zombies has already got his eye in his mouth. Well, that is true. <laughs> you, can't, you can't help anybody with somebody's eye in somebody else's mouth. No. When they got there, though, like the moment they got there, he wasn't actually being eaten yet. But there were just too many around him, and he was surrounded. He was surrounded. The only thing I think they could have done, maybe, is fire a shot to distract the zombies, give him a chance to escape. Or fire a shot into his head. Kill to, him? To put him out. Put him out of his misery right away. Well, I wasn't thinking that, though. I was thinking more shoot up in the air. Zombies will all go, huh, what's that? You just need to yell. Way. You don't need to waste a bullet to do that. All you right. just yell, hey, zombies, look over here. You're right. Make a noise of some kind. Yeah. And then don't you think he would have been able to just take off in a sprint and push his way through? If they were suddenly distracted? Who knows? I mean, he yeah. might have been, uh, you know, it might have been suicide by zombie, but at the last second, he kind of chickened out and, uh, you know, started yelling for help. Who knows what the situation was? It's very true. Either way, Rick didn't want to get involved. Right. And he's like, just let him go. You know, what, what can we do here? Uh, but the guy gets eaten, but a couple of zombies anyways notice Rick, Carl, and Michonne and start coming their way. So our three heroes run out to the train tracks. By now, a bunch of zombies are following them. Yep. And they come very quickly to some more zombies on the tracks eating somebody or something. So now they've got zombies in front and behind. And there's a fair number of them around. Yep. Pretty pretty tense situation. Well, it's a zombie apocalypse. They're, they're bound to be around everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it feels like there's hardly any. So yeah. suddenly there's a bunch around. But what I liked about this is the zombies were threatening they were scary and they didn't jump out of nowhere there were no stealth zombies in this scene right right they found a bunch in attacking that guy a few of them saw them so they followed them they run out onto the tracks and they're they're you know hurrying so they're not uh um they're probably just rushing to get away and uh oh we ran into some more so you know no stealth zombies which i liked that is good makes them makes them dangerous mm -hmm. and threatening uh, so Rick goes to kill the zombies ahead of them on the on the tracks because there are fewer, and we cut back to another flashback. Yeah. Flashback time. And it's Herschel, and we're back at the prison, and he's waking Rick up in the prison. It was kind of nice to see Herschel again. It was. You know, I liked seeing him there. He's the uh, not only the moral center, but the uh, the camp alarm clock. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so you tell him... The night before, what time you want your wake-up call? Not really, because he doesn't have a watch anymore. We covered, He covers that in a, a couple of seconds later. It's like Rick asks him, what time is it? And he says, I don't know. I don't wear a watch anymore. I, You know, it's always right now. So, you know, he maybe he is the alarm clock, but he's a bad alarm clock. It's, you know, Herschel, wake me up at some point. Sure thing, you got it. No problem. I'll do it when it's right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, either way, though, you let him know he comes to get you sometime the next day. That's right. Or sometime in the future. Please wake me up later. That's right. Uh, but uh, Herschel, so Herschel's there. He's on his crutches, too, and he asks, he didn't have his foot here, right? No, because his foot got cut off right as soon as they got to yeah, the prison. Yeah, 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 he didn't have his foot. Definitely on his crutches. 
Um, and he asks Rick for help doing something. Beth comes in and takes Judith, which I appreciated that because one of the things I've always thought as while they were living in the prison is that it seemed like Rick never had anything to do with Judith. You know, right. he, he was around a little bit. He, I know he was always doing other stuff because it would be boring to see him taking care of his baby every episode, but it felt like just she was never even there. So I, I appreciated them putting her crib in his cell with him. So, you know, in the middle of the night when she needs to be fed or whatever, you know it's her dad getting up to do it. Right. And it's just a little thing, but I thought it was good that they threw that in. Uh, but anyways, Beth comes and takes her. Rick puts his gun on. Herschel says, you're not going to need that because it'll get in the way of what I want you to do. Right. I'd take it anyway. As he did. Right. He took it anyway. <clears throat> He's not ready to get rid of that gun yet. No, but it's also, you know, it's a zombie apocalypse and anything can happen. So, you know, be prepared. You know, bring it, you know, put it down within 10 feet of you. Make a little, you know, stick, take a take a, a piece of wood, sharpen an end of it, hammer it into the ground, and put the gun on top. It's not in the way, nope. but it's easily gettable. Because uh, if you're out in the field and that uh, that firearm is on your bunk and the zo- zombies, you know, take over the fence, that gun might as well be on the moon. Like, it's completely useless to you. Yeah. So at least have it within, you know, a running grasp. Yeah, symbolically, though, I get what they were doing here. Well, yes. Sure. Yeah, you don't need that, you know, uh, swords to plowshares kind of thing. Yep. You know, you can't really use a gun as a plowshare, but uh, that's that's the idea. That so you don't need your weapons anymore. You might as well use them for farming implements. <laughs> that's right. Use dig with the butt end of the the rifle. That's right. Um, so we cut back to the tracks, and... They have finished off the zombies, and they keep running. Now, further down the road, they come to a car. Mm-hmm. They come to a vehicle that's abandoned, and there did you, is... Did you notice that there was on the road was another fire hydrant? A fire hydrant? There was a fire hydrant on one of the uh, the dirt roads. No. Remember we saw those in the last couple of episodes? We saw, like, country roads with a fire hydrant on the side. There was another fire hydrant. Uh, I don't know if it was exactly in this part of the scene, but uh, right around now, there was a fire hydrant. Interesting. I didn't notice it. I do remember talking about those fire hydrants. Now, a good portion of Georgia is country roads. Yeah. You know, we were there. We drove around on some of these country roads. I got the feeling that a lot of the state was um, very rural, right? Yep. Like everywhere, to be honest. But uh, I guess they need fire hydrants on those roads, too. I don't know. To put in a fire hydrant... On a on a country road seems like a lot of infrastructure to put in for uh, a rural area. So what I'm thinking is that where they filmed all of these scenes was in one tightly confined space that looked like a rural area, but was a uh, an old. It's sort of like it was a planned subdivision, but never kind of quite got there. Well, I don't know that they actually go all that far from the towns, right? I mean, filming wise, you mean? Fi- filming wise, yeah. yeah. So there's probably uh, underground water and sewers and all that, you know, yeah. which there wouldn't be everywhere. Although maybe there is. Huh? What the hell do I know? No, there's, it's not everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Like, it costs way too much to put that everywhere. Well, wh- where there are no people, especially, yes. And what's the point? Of having that. Well, even fire hydrants, they have to be pressurized, right? You have to have water pressure, and pressure drops over distance. So to maintain that, uh, you know, even just to just have that requires infrastructure, mm-hmm. like a number a number of, uh, 
you know, uh, facilities to actually pressurize those systems. So if you have a fire hydrant, it better well be pressurized because if the fire truck pulls up and opens up the fire hydrant, there's no water coming out. I mean, the fire hydrant might as well be on the moon for all the good it does. <laughs> Everything's on the moon this week. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, so fire hydrant. Excellent. I didn't notice, but I did notice the really awesome flattened zombie that was on the ground. Yes, that was like uh, just flattened, and it was mostly just a head and an arm lying there, and the rest of its body was was a pancake. Right. But so Michonne goes over, kills it, and then does this amazing like samurai movie move where she flicks the sword, and you hear the blood just splatter off. Splatter off. Good yeah. times. Good times. It was really really awesome. Um, we cut to night. Carl is asleep in the car. Rick and Michonne are by a fire outside, a small fire, sitting around, and they're talking about food. Seems like that's all they talk about now. Well, yeah. You need food. And Rick says they're one day from Terminus, and Michonne starts to wonder if it's legit. Right. If when they get there, do you think this is going to be a thing anymore? Is it going to be safe? Is it even going to be there at all? They hear a noise in the woods, and they react to it, but they don't really seem to bother to go investigate at all. Well, no, because if it's something that they need to worry about, it'll come out of the woods. And it does come out of the woods. Um, they keep talking about whether Terminus will be safe, and then suddenly it comes out of the woods. It does. And it's the wild dogs. They show up. They basically sneak up on them, have them surrounded, and Joe has a gun to Rick's head. Right, which is dumb. The gun to the head? Yeah, you always you know you don't put a gun right up to somebody's head because all it takes is one, you know, whack from something and that all of a sudden it's a complete miss, right? Mm-hmm. So having something that close to somebody is easily uh defensible. Like if you're if somebody's pointing a gun right at your forehead, you can knock it away. Uh, you know, chances are you're going to get shot a little bit later, but uh, you can, it is possible to knock it away. Whereas if you're two feet or three feet from someone pointing a gun at them, mm-hmm. you've got that reaction time. Like before, uh, before you can get to the guy with the gun, he's got enough time to pull the trigger. Sure. But don't you think that having a gun pressed right up against your forehead is intimidating enough? More so than being three feet away? It depends. I mean, maybe not. I mean, I would be pretty intimidated either way, frankly. If you're not used to it, absolutely. But if you're Rick, it's not really that intimidating. Hmm. And it's uh, some. It, the gun is close enough that you can get at it if you want to defend yourself against it. Interesting. So the best possible situation is two people with two guns, each person about three to five feet away from uh, the person that they're pointing a gun at, because then there's nothing they can do. Even if you get to one guy, the other guy has a gun too. Right. So these guys, anyway, it was just, uh, it was bad because they all got real close to their quarries and that was just dumb. Yeah. Well, the other guy uh, gets a gun right in Michonne's face too. Yeah. That was a, right. that was a good foot and a half. Like there was a little bit of distance there, but still within arm's reach. Yeah. Still though, there were, f- there's four or five of them, right? One, S- two, three, four, five. Yes. Right. Um, so even though Joe and what's his name have their guns right up against people, the other two guys are hanging back. Well, three, including Daryl. Uh, including Daryl. He doesn't count though. Including him, there's six. That's right. Right. So uh, Daryl isn't there yet though. But what I'm saying is, you know, you said the best case, the best case scenario is have two people with guns spread apart, um, not facing right at each other. And yeah. And uh, and a few feet away from the target, so they had they basically had that, except that 
two of them were too close. Right. So it wasn't, you know. It wasn't horrible, but it was just, it, it's a bad idea. Sure. But these, in, guys, these guys aren't pros either. No. So uh, we go to a commercial and we come back. We still have Rick with the gun to his head and Joe tells him that it's his day of reckoning. <laughs> Doesn't he say something about it being New Year's Eve too? Yeah, but I think that's just so he could do the countdown. I don't think it's actually New Year's oh, Eve. I don't know. Didn't they? I think maybe it's New Year's. I'm going to choose to believe that it was New Year's Eve. So it's actually December 31st. And Joe knows it. So he's keeping track of time. Okay. Well, maybe. I think he was just throwing that out there so that he could say, who's going to count the ball drop with me? Ten, nine, and he starts counting down. No, I'm going I'm to go with actual New Year's Eve, and he knows what he's talking about. All right, so that doesn't make it quite as super villainy ridiculous then. No, it just happens to be that this guy knows what day it is. Sure, because if it wasn't actually New Year's Eve and he just wanted to do a countdown, that would be a little bit ridiculous. Well, you know, maybe he's confused. Okay, well, so be it. It's actually New Year's Eve then. Yeah. Um, while he's counting down, the fat bald guy goes to the car to get Carl. Right. And then Daryl walks around the car. Uh oh. <laughs> and he sees what's going on and realizes that, you know, these are his friends. Yep. And he says, These are good people and you're gonna let them go. He says that to Joe. And Daryl says, If Joe, you know, if you want blood to Joe, take it from me. Which is crazy. So um, Joe interprets Daryl as lying, which is against the rules. He right. interprets it as a lie because he said these are good people, which is clearly not true. Right. But if, obviously that's subjective. And, you know, if these aren't good people and if Daryl was lying, then he needs to pay the price. So he tells the other guys to start beating him up. They're awfully quick to turn on their, their brother in, aren't they? Well, they've got a code, man, and they stick to it. Oh, but that, that seems like a little, you know, flighty to just go... Uh, you know, you're saying this is a good person, but I don't believe you, so you're lying. It's like, hey, what about you being wrong, right? Well, this is that's why I said that sort of call is subjective, right? If you can prove someone uh, is a liar objectively, then so be it. Now, at the, that said, Joe believes 100% with all his heart that Rick is a horrible bad person because, well, because he, killed he killed this guy. You killed Lou on the Lou. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, again, to Joe, bad people. Daryl says, no, they're good people. And that doesn't matter what's true. It just matters that what Joe believes. Well, why didn't Daryl shoot one of these guys then? Uh, what do you mean? Well, Daryl's got a crossbow. Mm -hmm. These two guys are coming at him. I'd put a bolt through one of their heads, make it a fair fight at least. Um, was he holding his crossbow when he walked around the car? When is Daryl not holding his crossbow? I realize that, but I'm just trying to think of the scene, and I don't remember seeing it as he walked around. But you're right, he always is. Now, if it was just hanging off his back, it might take a second to swing that around, get it up. There's no bolt loaded in it, maybe. Right, drop that and pull up the knife, you know, his his knife stance? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't you don't screw with Daryl in his, <laughs> his knife stance. Sneaky knife stance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, you're right, but I mean... At the same time, these other two guys are right there ready to go, and they just start pounding on him. Okay, so, so I choose to believe that Daryl is taking a beating in the off chance that Joe is going to let Rick and company go. Oh, I'll take the beating. Well, I offered myself. I'll take the beating. Uh, I just I have a hard time believing that Daryl couldn't defend himself a little better than that. Well, he's got two guys beating him up. I, I mean, I, he could take one of them out before they get close to him. 
yeah, maybe, but maybe he just wasn't ready for it. You know, he was so overwhelmed by having seeing Rick and Michonne again, he was caught off guard. Maybe his hair dye got in his eyes. <laughs> his hair got in the way. That's right. He couldn't see for a minute there. But just the hair dye. Oh, because right. he freshly dyed his hair with whatever you know purple stuff he found in the uh, in the woods. So that's leaking onto his head, and it got <laughs> in his eyes, and he's all blind and stuff. It's blueberry juice, right? Yeah, or something. You I don't know, know, some kind of tar. <laughs> some, some kind of road tar. Yeah got a really good mohawk going that's what he should do all right so the fat guy starts pulling carl out of the car rick is yelling to leave him alone and you know rick tries to tell them that it was just me that killed lou you know you don't these people didn't have anything to do with it and joe says first we're gonna kill daryl then we're gonna have the girl then we're gonna have the boy then we're gonna shoot you that's quite the code they have oh yeah um and now the fat guy's got Carl down on the ground, trying to rape him. I think. I think so. And uh, well, he's he's kind of playing around with him. It's not really, you know, uh, really trying to rape him. He's just kind of. I think he's toying with him. He is, but his end goal is to have the boy. Like yes, Joe but said. I don't think it's necessarily just you know full on. I'm going to rape this little boy right now. I think it's more of a I'm going to toy with him and make him afraid and increase my enjoyment of it. That's almost worse. No, it's horrible. You know? It's absolutely horrible. The whole situation is horrible. You're going to rape a little boy, and you're going to rape a woman and kill two people. It's absolutely horrible. Yeah, there's there's just nothing redeeming going on here yeah. whatsoever. Um, So Rick takes this opportunity to reverse headbutt Joe in the nutsack, I think. Yeah, something. He he just slammed his head backwards and got him pro- probably it must have got him right in the crotch. But the gun goes off right by his ear, so he's deafened for a second. And uh um Michonne also gets away from the other guy and turns her uh, his gun on himself and shoots him in the head. Right. So she's free now. Yeah. Or at least not doesn't have a gun to her head. Um now see here we see fat guy or at least hear him like undoing his belt, I think. Right. So he, there's, there's gunfire now. It's all, you know, all bets are off. Yeah. I better hurry up and rape this little boy. God damn. That's terrible, man. <laughs> it's horrible. Um, Rick and Joe fight, and, uh, you know, the, Joe seems to get the upper hand briefly. But Rick gets up, and he gets close enough, and he bites his neck out. Yeah. What are you going to, uh, what was uh, Joe's line? It was, what are you going to do now, genius, or something like that? Something like that. Because he got him in a bear hug? Yeah. Yeah. So take a take a bite out of Joe. Yeah, he just bite bit a whole big chunk out of his neck. Uh Joe falls back and at this point everybody hesitates for a second because they just watched a dude bite another guy's neck off. And he did you see when Rick spit out the piece? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh yeah. It <laughs> was um, awesome. According to Andrew Lincoln, that was raw chicken. You don't put raw chicken in your mouth. I don't care what like he, raw beef, yes. You don't put raw chicken in he, your mouth. He was he was on AMC's Talking Dead. They were talking about that scene, and he re- he told a story about he was offered raw beef or raw chicken. He chose the chicken, and uh, sorry, he was offered beef or chicken. He chose chicken, and then he was he said cooked or uncooked, and he chose uncooked, and he said that it was the wrong call because it well, no was kidding. disgusting. Raw beef, yes, I can see, but raw chicken—that's that's a recipe for salmonella poisoning, right there. Oh well, yeah, for sure. But uh, at least w- raw beef, if it's fresh, you're 
you had a pretty good uh, chance of not catching botulism or anything like that. But I, chicken, I, even if it's fresh, you know, salmonella is in that sucker. I've eaten steak tartare. It's delicious. Yeah. As long as it's fresh. It can't be sitting around for like a week and a half. But as long as it's fresh, you're good. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, either way, it looked really awesome on screen. But I'm sure in real life it was super disgusting. Um, but it, but watching this gave everyone, you know, hesitated for a second. And this allowed Michonne and Daryl to sort of get the upper hand and take out these other guys. Right? Wouldn't a peach work just as well? <laughs> take a bite out of a peach and go... Thuh. They are in Georgia, for crying out loud. It's dark. You maybe put a little bit of food coloring on there. But then again, they are in Georgia. And who wants to see the, uh, you know, the Georgian peach spit out of somebody's mouth because it's uh, gross. They're so delicious. You'd never spit out You would a never spit, that, uh, spit out a Georgia peach. You would always eat it, even if it had food coloring on it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So maybe chicken works better in that situation. Probably. Still disgusting, though. Yeah. Um, so Michonne and Daryl, like I said, get the upper hand, kill some guys. Rick goes to the fat guy with a knife, gets him off of Carl, and then stabs him repeatedly. The Okay, got fat guy with a knife that was on Carl. He had the knife, but dropped it. Like, he dropped it and put up his hands. Right. Okay, so that that's it's very important to know that he put up his hands and said, okay, you got me. Uh, I give up. I surrender. And that didn't quite work. Didn't quite work out for him. Um... Rick starts stabbing him repeatedly and just, I imagine, carving him up into a big pile of mush. What did Rick have in his hand? Do you know? Like, he wasn't, it wasn't a knife that he was stabbing him with. I think it was a piece of wood or No, I think it was a knife. I think he he either picked up the knife or he had it, you know, in his pants or something. Like a a holster, maybe. Right. I, I, I think it was a knife, though. I don't think he was just stabbing him with random objects. I thought it was a random object of some kind. Well, anyways, Carl is watching from Michonne's arms, and all we can hear is just the repeated squishing noises of, of Rick just jabbing this guy. Right. So, everybody survived. All I, our, I, Except for the wild dogs. They're all dead. They're all dead, but <laughs> all our heroes, including Daryl, survived. Right. We go to commercial, and we come back. We are with Herschel. We're back at the farm, and Herschel's talking about feral pigs. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Funny how these we things We gotta happen. go get some feral pigs. <laughs> That's right. You can domesticate them easy. You cut off their tusks, you cut their, you know, little hairs that they've grown. Give them a shave. You know, feed them some slop and they're happy as pigs in <laughs> pig shit. <laughs> That's, That's right. Pigs in muck. Um, and, and so he's here talking about these pigs and he's trying to convince Rick to be a farmer. And Rick says, no, 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 I need to be going on runs, doing fence work, all these things to keep us safe and... Herschel's clearly at this point feeling very safe. He says they've been here for two months and the war is over. We're good. We just need to start growing crops and make some food for ourselves. He's wrong, but it's a nice sentiment. Yeah, absolutely. He's feeling a little bit too comfortable, I think. And he says that Carl needs his father. And they reference when Carl, you know, shot that kid outside the prison. Yep. And uh, he, uh, you know, he, 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 Herschel tells Rick that they all owe him. And now it's sort of time for them to to make it better, mm-hmm. make the prison a better place to live. But Rick's still not feeling all that safe or anything. He needs to try to keep protecting them. Right. We cut back to the road, and it is the scene from the cold open where Rick is sitting against the car covered in blood. So now we know what happened, yep. what led to this scene. Inside the car, Michonne and Carl are resting and they've draped it off uh, with some sheets, I guess, for some darkness, which is a good idea. The skins of their enemies. 
<laughs> you think that's what it is? They skinned the fat guy for curtains. <laughs> oh, man. Fat guy curtains. <laughs> that's not cool. Yeah. Um, or maybe it is. At least they can sleep in some darkness. Yeah. Uh, Daryl comes walking up, offers Rick some water to clean up, and Daryl says that he didn't know what the wild dogs were. He explains that he was with Beth for a while. Rick asks if she's dead, and he says, no, she's just gone. She's gone. <laughs> she might, I mean, he said no. Well, he didn't, I don't know if he said no. She, he said she's gone. I don't know. Is if she dead? dead? She's gone, man. Yeah. She's not here. And he tries to explain the wild dog's code. He said it was stupid, but it was something at least, right. you know, they didn't seem all bad. And he also says that they all, he almost left them, um, but sort of lucky he didn't because right. then he wouldn't have been there to help. And Rick says it's not his fault. It's not Daryl's fault. The most important thing that he's back with them now and he calls him brother. Yeah. Reminded me of Desmond from Lost. You think so? Brother. It didn't remind me of that. It reminded me of uh, Merle. You're my brother. Oh, yeah. yeah. My brother's Merle. He got his hand cut off, which, you know, you didn't. And uh, he's dead and you're not. That's right. I'm your new brother. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. So they continue talking, and Daryl tells Rick that anybody would have done what Rick did to the fat guy. Well, you're damn right he would. Tried to rape your son, for crying out loud. Right. But Daryl says, something happened. That ain't you. And Rick disagrees and says, no, that's exactly who I am, and it's why we're still alive. Right. Uh, regardless of what happened, I am a crazy murderer. Well, I don't know about I that. I know, I know. Murder's so subjective. Especially, you know, when it involves <clears throat> raping little boys. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, okay, so they go walking down the tracks. Michonne and Rick are talking, and they both agree that they're both okay. You know, no big right. deal. I'm okay, you're okay. We all kill people. We're good. That's all right. They come to a fallen terminus sign, and they decide that they're close enough now that they want to approach carefully through the woods. Right. They don't want to just walk up to the front door. They go to the woods. They come to a fence. They take a peek through and see the terminus letters across the building. Yep. And Rick says to spread out and watch for a while. Yeah. They're not just going to, like, walk in. Well, that's what I would do. It really makes sense. I'd climb a tree and watch this place for, like, a week, a week and a half. I really wouldn't go in until I knew exactly... What was going on? It seems like, uh, you know, based on where we're going next, they like looked uh, and said, uh, yep, that's the building. Let's go. It didn't seem to take very long, did it? No, unless, uh, you know, this will come out a little bit later, but uh, unless they were watching the patrols that were going around and they decided to go in while the patrol was not there. Yeah, that's right. You'd still think they'd wait long enough to identify any patterns. You know, I well, mean, maybe they did, and that's when, uh, you know, once they realized the pattern that, the you know, the, whoever was on patrol, once they're not there, then right. we have, you know, we got a good 15 minutes before he comes around again, so let's go now. Right, although it didn't, they didn't portray that time no. in, in the episode to me. No. Uh, anyways. That's so, all pure conjecture. Yeah, so they decide to go split up, watch a while. Carl chooses to go with Michonne. They start talking, and uh, she tells Carl how her son died. Yeah. They were in a camp with Mike. Her uh, her boyfriend, who's um, what's the son's name? Adrian. I don't remember. Oh, Adrian. Yeah. Nah, I, I'm not 100 percent sure about that. Anyways, um, with the father and their friend Terry, the camp started to fall apart. She says Michonne was coming back from a run, and she found the place overrun with zombies. And apparently, Mike and Terry were high when it happened. Right. So they were in no shape 
to do their parental duties or at least his parental duties. Right. And um, she was so mad at them, she let them turn into zombies because they had been bit and she created her pets, but she reveals that it wasn't for protection. She just wanted to, I don't know, keep them around her because she sort of felt like a monster, but then she discovered that it kept her safe. Right. Which is interesting. Yeah, she wanted. Yeah, she wanted them as a reminder that uh, she can't let her guard down. And and then lo and behold, hey, the zombies don't notice me when I've got these guys with no arms and no jaws. And her son's name is Andre. Andre, so there you go. Um, but I think that's a that's a, a really interesting character reveal. It's not that she was sort of smart enough to identify the fact that if I stick around zombies, they they'll think I'm one, so they won't attack me. Right. It was strictly a reminder of of all the bad thing that's happened, and sort of she feels like one of these one of these monsters, right? And that she was going to be part of it. But a nice side effect is she ended up being safe. Yeah. Um, and she says that I was gone for a long time, but then Andrea brought me back and your dad brought me back. And she tells Carl that he doesn't have to be afraid of Rick. Right. And you brought me back. She mentioned that to Carl too, that you're part of it. Definitely. I mean, he's been a huge part of it from what we've seen in the last few episodes. Yep. And, uh, Carl says that he's not a good man or kid, I guess, despite what his dad says. He says, I'm not what he thinks I am. I'm just another monster too. Which is which is interesting for a kid of his age having sort of the wherewithal to realize or if not realize to think that he is, you know, not normal. Right. To kind of be thinking I'm, you know, I'm aware that I'm not just a regular kid. I'm kind of a gun-toting, crazy killing machine. Hat-wearing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Hat-wearing killing machine. Um. We go over to Rick, and he's burying a bag of guns. Daryl comes up, and Rick says they're here just in case. Yeah. Leave some guns here. And then they all climb the fence to sneak into Terminus. I so, thought that that uh, when they all climbed the fence, I thought the, the actual production value of that, of that was funny. I know. Seeing them all jump down one at a time. From a box that was just off camera. I like know. Like, they definitely weren't climbing over a fence. They were like... There and then the next person jumps off the box and then the next person jumps off the box. It was it was pretty ridiculous, really. I, I agree. It occurred to me too that it just sort of looked hilarious. Even the way they show Rick climbing up and then and then the way they're coming down, they just came down so quickly that there's no way they would have been able to do it that fast. But Right. Well maybe there was a wall or something that they jumped they climbed over and then jumped onto the wall and then had to jump off the wall, but the wall wasn't in camera. Right. So, yeah, it was just pretty silly. We don't want the actual actors to climb any kind of fence because we're, you know, we don't have insurance for that. But, you know, jumping off of the six-inch high box, I guess we could it, let them do that. It was weird, but it worked okay. I moved on quickly from right. it. <clears throat> um, they sneak into Terminus. Their weapons are drawn. The first thing they do is enter a building, and uh, they find a group of people. Right. And one lady is sitting there. She's sitting, speaking into a microphone, broadcasting the sanctuary message. Live. Yes, live. It's not a recording. And the others are hanging around, and I think they're making the posters. They're making signs, yeah. Yeah, they're making signs. Which I thought was funny that they wouldn't, uh, you know, they have this radio broadcast equipment. Right. And you'd think that they would have some kind of, uh, you know, tape loop saying... You know, come to Terminus, uh, all your dreams will come true. We've got, you know, unicorns and bunnies and <laughs> right. clouds and stuff. You can come here and hang out. But uh, no, they got this this poor lady 
sitting here having to repeat this message over and over again. Uh, she probably, you know, says this message in her sleep now. Well, I'm sure they take shifts. She probably doesn't sit there eight hours a day doing that. Well, I'm just saying if they rated uh, some kind of radio device, like this is a train yard, and there's probably there was probably some kind of building and command central station that had some kind of broadcast capability for, you know, you know, some kind of radio. You'd think that they would have a, a tape recorder or, you know, something. Something, maybe. I mean, maybe it ran out of batteries a long time ago. Well, they got power. If they've got enough power to broadcast something, then they've got power enough to run a tape on a tape loop. Like, yeah. go and uh, find a transport truck with an 8-track in it. Like, you could rip that thing out of there and and, and run that. And it's even already on an infinite loop. 8-tracks are awesome. Yeah, you're they right. They should come back. No, no, they should. There's still a company in the States that makes 8-tracks. Yeah, uh, for novelty factor. No, I think they make them for truckers. Oh, really? Because there's a lot of trucks that still have 8-tracks. Jeez. That's <laughs> why I'm saying go find a truck, because it's got an 8-track. It's probably a whole market right there. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, she's broadcasting live. That is kind of weird. Everyone's ma- Everyone else is making posters. And our gang just kind of walk in and say hi. <laughs> They're like, hey, everybody. Hey. And... After the people there find out that they're not here to rob them, they all seem pretty friendly. Yep. And Gareth introduces himself, and he uses the same line that Mary did in the previous episode. Um, Welcome to Sanctuary, right? Yep. You know, he says they've found Sanctuary, if that's what they're looking for, and he introduces Alex, I think his name was. Yeah. And the two men ask them to lay down their weapons, which they do after they hesitate for a second, and then they frisk them all, and then they give them back their weapons. Which is dumb. Well, why, Why, though? Why frisk them? Like, okay, they've got weapons, so let's make sure that they don't have weapons, so that when we give them weapons, they have weapons. Um, Okay, from that perspective, I can see, but I think this is a confusion and a confusion tactic on the part of the sanctuary people. Right. And what I mean by that is they're they're no one is ever used to having their weapons taken away and then immediately given back to them. So Rick and Michonne and, and Daryl and Carl are standing there going, What's going on? These people are a little bit weird. I don't know what to think about this, right? They seem really friendly. Well, they should uh, take their weapons and then frisk them and then give them different weapons. <laughs> like here, you take the sword, you take the crossbow, you know? That's a really good idea. Here's that, a board with a nail in it. If they're if they're going for confusion, that would really do it. Yeah. You get the samurai sword now. Yeah. And <laughs> We've got a morning star in a box over here. Who wants it? Yeah. Um anyways, I think all they were doing is just trying to f- trying to make these people or, or Rick and everybody feel comfortable and at home. Right. Right? It's like we don't take your weapons away. We just don't want you to shoot us with them before we know that you're friendly. Um so uh, what happens then? They give them back their weapons. They all seem really friendly. Alex takes them outside, and he tells Daryl that this place has been around almost since the start. Yep. So it's been here a long time. So they go out to where Mary is, who we met in the previous episode. Alex asks them to fix them a plate. Yep. Same line again. And Rick is looking around. He's observing. He's looking at everybody. And he sees some things that are a little bit familiar to him. Yeah. He sees orange backpack. Yep. Which I which was fantastic. It was great to see that again. It was so cool that it was there. He sees the poncho that Daryl was wearing for a while, 
and that Maggie wore in the previous episode, which I didn't pick up on at the time, but a lot of people wrote in to remind to point that out. Yep. He sees a guy in riot gear. And then he notices in Alex's pocket a pocket watch. Right. And well, he sees a pocket watch chain. He sees the chain. You're right. But I think with the other stuff, he puts two and two together and definitely comes up with four. Yeah. So Alex is the closest guy. He suddenly grabs him, puts a gun to his head, and asks him, where did you get the watch? The very gun that he had to his head the night before. The very same gun. You're right. Right. On the same side of the head. Anyway, just a, just a whole role reversal there. Role reversal in a parallel sort of way. Right. We go to commercial when we come back. Oh, sorry. I'm just going to step back here for one second. Do it. Putting a gun to somebody's head and pressing it to their forehead is acceptable when you're using that person as a human shield. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So if you're just trying to intimidate them, bad idea. But if you've got your arm around their neck and you're using them as a human shield, uh, that's perfectly acceptable. As long as you're doing it for good. If you're doing it for evil, <laughs> like you're trying to uh, protect yourself against the police, then uh, it's a bad thing to do. Yes. As, <laughs> using a human shield for good? That's totally fine. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. There you go. You've you've made your your uh, viewpoint on that clear, I yeah. think. Okay. Good. <laughs> um, after the commercial break, we don't come right back to this scene. We go to the prison. And there's Patrick. Remember Patrick? I remember Patrick. And he's playing with Lego. He is playing with Lego. That's... And he should not be embarrassed with play... about playing with Lego. <laughs> no. He said, what did he say? I don't, I'm not embarrassed that it's for 4 to 12. Right? Yes. Which, does that indicate he's more than 12? I, I guess so. Of course he's more than 12. He's like 16. Was he? Yeah. yeah I think you're right, because he was supposed to be older than Carl. That's right. Yeah. Um, uh, I, have a, I have quite an extensive Lego collection. You're definitely older than I'm 12. I'm older than 12, but some of my Lego does does say for uh, ages 12 and up. So I just want to say that, first of all. But I'm not embarrassed about it. No, I wouldn't be either. Yeah. Uh, Carl is there, and uh, Rick walks up, and Patrick thanks him for bringing the Lego. Carl is there rebuilding his gun. Right. No, Lego's not for Carl. Carl's got other things. He needs to uh, he needs to field strip his weapon and clean it. Well, I think this was an amazing juxtaposition. To it be honest really was. With you. you know, building Lego, building a gun. Yeah. And Patrick and Carl. So yeah, really well done on the on the part of the writers in this scene. I thought, even if some people might argue that it was a bit ham fisted, I thought it was effective. Oh, I thought it was effective. People said it was ham fisted. No, but I could, well, I could see that argument. To be honest with you, it's like Lego gun. You know, Patrick, naive, innocent, Carl, killing machine. It's it's too obvious, right? But I don't know. It just drove the... For me, it drove the point home more than being obvious. I thought it was good. Good. Uh, but Rick asked Carl to come do something with him, yeah. sort of like Herschel did before, and he says he won't need his gun. Yeah. Bring so, it anyway. <laughs> bring it anyway. Now we go back to Terminus, and we're right in the same situation. Rick is still asking about the watch. Alex is telling him to put the gun down, asks Rick is just going on and on about this watch, and Alex says he got it off a dead one. Yeah. I, think he, I think he said dead one. Yeah, he said a dead one. He got the uh, poncho off a line, he got the uh, off a clothesline, he got the uh, the riot gear off of a police officer. A dead cop, yeah. He's got an answer for everything. Which just, to me, is like bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Okay, now I know you're lying, uh, so people got to die. Yeah, so at this point, it's Gareth who comes out, and I think Gareth is the one who has an answer for everything, yes, right? Yes, yeah. 
Um, Rick, at this point, asks about their people. So now he reveals, he's like, all right, I know you have my people because you have all their stuff and they're not here. Where are they? And they start shooting. So there's one line that, uh, okay, who does Rick has, have as a human shield? What's his name? I'm not 100% clear on who these guys, who's who yet, but it's okay. either Alex or... No, I think it's Alex because, okay. yeah, he grabs Alex, puts a gun to his head, I think. So Alex at one point says, we don't have to do this now. And Garrus says, shut up. Well, Alex is, is um, he's kind of begging for his life, isn't he? He is, but he's also, he told the sniper on the roof, I have this under control. You know, put your weapon down. I've got this. And then Garrus shows up and says, okay, we got to, you know, uh, you know, has the answers for everything. And right. then Alex at one point says, we don't have to do this right now. Meaning what? Meaning we don't have to herd these people into uh, their containment. Like we can still, you know, butter them up, relax, get them to relax before we, we do this. That's that's the meaning I got from this. Okay, I, I, I think you're probably right. The problem is, I think Rick is beyond the point of being buttered up. He knows that his well, friends I, I are Well, I recognize here. that. Alex is dead wrong. Okay. But that's, I just, uh, I thought that that line was important. And the first time I heard it, we don't have to do this now. I knew something was about to happen that was going to happen now and not a little bit later. Yeah, it was definitely about to happen right now. Yeah. Uh, they start shooting. There are guys on the rooftops. They're shooting down at them. Yeah. But they're not hitting them. Nope. Which is, at, at this point, I didn't think anything of it. But it doesn't take long. Oh, it uh, immediately occurred to me. And, and it always does in television shows when, uh, you know, people are running away from bullets and the bullets are hitting the ground at their feet. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, they got a horrible aim. Like, you don't shoot at, if somebody's running away from you, you don't shoot at their feet. No, that's right. But I see, to me, I could believe that there are people who are just not good shots. Like, if I was on the roof with a rifle and people were running down below, I don't think I could hit them. Well, no. And, and that's why it takes training. I, I know that, but... you got to take the advanced class. It's a shame. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a callback. Uh, I, I know, but what I'm saying is, if these people were similar to me, they might be up there and be in a role that is not right for their skill set right. because they can't hit anyone from a roof. As soon as I saw the bullets spraying on the ground, uh, obviously dictating what direction that our little gang of heroes were running in, Mm -hmm. I knew exactly what was happening. Okay. Well, I did pretty soon. Yeah. But in this scene, I I didn't quite clue in yet. Rick and everybody run into a building. They find a way back outside, and they're still being shot at, not getting hit. And this is where I was like, well, they're making such a point of showing the bullets hit the ground around them. Yeah. I was like, well, they're clearly not aiming at them. Um. As they're running the group, they go past some storage containers. They hear someone yelling, help me from inside. Right. That was pretty creepy. It was pretty creepy. And they come in, they go inside again into another room with lots of candles. Okay. So before we get here. Okay. uh, Let's back up a little bit. Uh, First of all, they keep running through doorways that have the letter A on it. They did. There was a number of them. So they keep running towards those, uh, those directions. And at one point they ran past a tarp full of meat. Like mm-hmm. there was a tarp laid out in the sun with a whole bunch of what looked like meat and carcasses and rib cages and spines yep. and various such things sunning in the sunlight, getting a uh, some kind of meat tan. 
Yeah, <laughs> meat tan, yep. <clears throat> All right, so that's it. They kept running towards the letter A in uh, various doorways and such. So they were obviously, in my head, being herded right towards something. It is the title of this episode, after it, it, all. Yes, yeah, it is. A. Now, in they get into this room with the candles. Right. And this is a very odd room. It is. Especially, like, why would there be a big room full of hundreds of lit candles just sitting there? I have an answer. Okay, and did, do you happen to write down the message that was on the wall? I did. All right. It said, never again, never trust, and we first always. So I don't know what, uh, I know what never again means. I know what never trust means. Yes. I don't know what we first, comma, always means. Was there a comma? There was. Okay, I don't know what that means either. All right. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, the first two are clear. The third stanza in that poem, not so much. Not so much. Yeah. <clears throat> So there was all these uh, names written on the ground. I wrote them down. Okay. Good for you, man. I didn't even notice the names. You didn't notice the names? No. All in a big circle, there was like, uh, you know, 50 names written with like various candles and objects beside them. I must have blinked or something. I don't know what happened to you, but we had... Uh, so there were all kinds of names like uh, Ben Ross and Decoder, uh, California... Or uh, Timothy Walters, 25. So some of them had ages. Some of them had locations, like Nick Smith, uh, Louisville, GA, Jessica Bent, uh, Marita, GA, that kind of stuff. I'm just kind of, a lot of them were obscured. Uh, there were objects beside some of the names, like a doll beside one, a harmonica, a basketball, a, what looked like a wallet. One of them looked like a bowling ball, ball or a large grape. Like, if it was a grape, it was the size of a bowling ball. Okay. But it kind of looked like a grape, but I assume it was a bowling ball. All right. Uh, I, I was looking for names that meant something, and I didn't really see any, except that uh, I did see a name, uh, Brian Case from Woodbury, uh, and a there was another one from somewhere. I forget. There was a guitar beside one of the names, so mm-hmm. and ages beside a lot of them. So what this meant to me was, yes, uh, I, I assume we're thinking cannibals. Yeah, pretty much everyone knows or assumes this at this okay. point. So that's not really going to be a spoiler? No, okay. I don't think so. Not anymore. All right. So we're kind of thinking cannibals. Um, so what I'm these names, what meant to me was they're not just, you know, uh, packing these uh, people into cars, slaughtering them, and then eating them. They're actually honoring them. This is their the way of honoring them. These are the people that have uh, become the barbecue. Mm-hmm. And these are, you know, where they keep these candles lit, which is ridiculous. Why would you expend, you know, let's spend uh, six weeks looking for candles and then just light them all up and keep this room c- continuously lit with candles. It's ridiculous. And nobody lives here. Uh, why write all these names down? I think it's a way of honoring these people for their sacrifice of providing them with a decent barbecue. I can see that. You're, you're, um, you're putting together a pretty good defense of these people right here. Well, it's not really a defense. I'm just, <laughs> there's a, there's a big difference in my mind between a reason and an excuse. Mm-hmm. Like this is, uh, this to me kind of puts together what their thinking is. It does not excuse them from responsibility. It's just, this is the, their, their it mentality. explains their mentality. Right. right. Interesting. So, uh, you didn't see the name Beth there anywhere, did I did, did not you? see the name Beth, and I looked real hard for the name Beth. I did not see it. If anybody else saw it, please let me know. I saw a David, I saw a Nick, I saw an Amanda, I saw a Jen, a Judy, Thomas, Brian, Zane, 
Zane. Yeah. John, uh, I looked for anything. I looked for Glenn. I looked for Maggie. I looked for anybody that we recognized. Interesting. I did not see it. Okay. Well, I like this. I, I mean, saw what I thought was a Scott Johnson, but it turned out to be Scott Jackson. <laughs> Scotty J. I was even looking for that. I was looking for, I saw there's a Barbara, which I thought was uh, Night of the Living Dead, but I couldn't find Barbara Baldwin, 24. Uh, and I tried to look for Barbara's last name, which they don't have anywhere. I don't think Barbara had a last name in Night of the Living Dead. And they've been doing that a lot lately, putting putting references into Romero stuff, right? Right. Bub in the last episode. Okay, so there was a Barbara, and uh, and I believe Beth did play a Baldwin piano at one point. The piano <laughs> she was playing in the funeral home uh, was a Baldwin. Really? Yeah. Well, I, my my uncle Brian used to be a Baldwin dealer in the Sioux. He sold pianos, and it was a Baldwin piano sales store. Wow. So we had I had Baldwin was part of my life growing up. Right. Baldwin piano. So I recognized the name Baldwin all the time. And so, yeah, it was Barbara Baldwin and Beth played a Baldwin, all kinds of bees there. Therefore, Beth is dead. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, if she played a Baldwin and that was Barbara Baldwin, <laughs> Barbara Baldwin, Beth. All right. Um, good analysis, there's Jason. A, there's a Glenn Johnson. Is there? There, there was a Glenn Johnson, but uh, Glenn's, that's not Glenn's last name. His last name is Ree. Right. So, so I thought maybe, oh my God, is that Glenn? And then I looked up Glenn's last name and... It's not Glenn. Okay, it's not Glenn. But I like your analysis of this scene. I must have blinked because I missed all those names. Right. Which is weird because I usually pay attention. And then the second time, I'm making notes, so I'm looking up and down a lot. Right. And I guess I just didn't see it. But good thing you're here. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, right. So they eventually run outside and they come to the fence, which it looks like the fence that they jumped over to come into Sanctuary. Well, the whole thing's surrounded by a fence. Yeah, yeah. But there is a little stone wall that they could hop off of. See? If, uh, if they were jumping over. But why would they jump over this particular area? Well, whatever. And I did look, like I did watch the episode twice, and when they jumped off the box that looked like uh, that they were supposed to be jumping off the fence, yep. I did look for the train car with the letter A on it. Yep. And I did not see it. Did so not see it. Different area of the... Uh, of the train yard. Okay, but similar looking enough. So, but now they, they run out there and there are a bunch of guys with guns on the other side, like outside Sanctuary, pointing guns through the fence. Well, I thought they were on this side of the fence, but behind bushes. No, I got the feeling they were on the other side of the fence. And I thought maybe they were trying to indicate that they found Rick's stash of guns. So they were outside. Oh, no. That's it. But I don't think so either. No. Um, but anyways, point is, our heroes are now surrounded Yes. There's people in all directions. They don't really have anywhere to go. And um, we go to commercial and come back. And then Gareth tells, he's, Gareth is there. He's on like a roof or something somewhere. He yells, drop their weapons, which they do. And Gareth tells the ringleader to go to the train car. Okay. So this might be the reason why they frisked them. Because now they know when they drop their weapons... That they don't have other weapons. Yes, they do. Okay, so this might be the very reason. These people are geniuses. They're pretty smart. <laughs> Maybe this isn't the first time they've done this. It's probably a hard bunch of lessons that they've learned over time. Probably, yeah. Make sure no one has any hidden weapons because later on we're going to ask you to drop them. Right. So. And did you notice when they were running towards the letter A at one point a little bit earlier that they ran through like what looked like a courtyard with a bunch of burned out cars and boxes and stuff? Yep. Did you notice the sheer number of bullet holes in the wall? It was absolutely riddled 
with bullet holes. All the cars and the boxes and the buildings and everything. It looked like a shooting gallery. Man, you were really paying attention here. I don't know. It just it struck me as uh, this has happened before. Well, if they herd people with gunfire through the same place all the time, yeah. there's going to be a lot of gunfire, yeah. a lot of bullet holes in those walls. Um, Gareth tells the ringleader to go to the train car. He means Rick. Then he tells the archer yeah. and the samurai to go to the train car. And now Carl is standing there by himself out in the open. If I was Carl, I'd just be shitting my pants. Well, I would have I would have dumped a load quite some time ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dump and run. <laughs> I'm surprised that didn't happen, to be honest. <laughs> but he's poor kid. He's he's standing there all by himself. The you know his father and Michonne and people he you know looks to for protection have been told to go away. He doesn't know if he's going to be asked to follow them at this point. Um. But Rick yells for his son. I think it was interesting that he specifically said, my son. Yeah. Because, you know, maybe the Terminus people, I, they might not have known that that was uh, Rick's son. And I think he was trying to appeal to their humanity a little bit. That's my son. Don't right. do anything. Um, but then Gareth tells Carl to go, which is good. He tells them to open the train car and go in, which all four of them do. The dark, dark train car. Dark train car. So we're inside the train car. The door closes, although I couldn't really tell who closed it. Like if I was them and I walked in, would the first thing you do is close the door? N me, no. No. So, who, But I know people that would. Really? Yeah. Like if you were just forced into a train car, I mean, maybe they're afraid. But Gareth didn't say close the door. He just said go in. But somebody closed the door, so it's dark in there. And... Inside the train car, though, here's a, a moment of, of uh, something good-ish that happens. They find everybody else. Well, not everybody. Who's missing? Uh, Carol and uh, Judith. And, and, and Tyrese. And Tyrese. They haven't arrived yet, though. That's, That's my That's correct. They're, they are not, not everybody else is in there. Okay, I mean everyone else that got to Terminus. Yes. From our gang of survivors. Right. Um, so Maggie says that Abraham, Rosita, and Eugene are their friends. That's her sort of way of introducing them. And Tara. Uh, yeah, and Tara. You're right. You're right. Uh, but she doesn't use anyone by name, right? No. She just says, these are our friends. These are our friends. They're good people. Yeah. And Abraham says, at least for a while anyways. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because they don't know. And uh, we go to one more flashback before the end of this episode. Everybody is at the prison. They're farming. They all seem very happy. Beth gets to wear the sheriff hat which I thought was cool. And Rick says there's a new sheriff there's in town. There's a new town. sheriff in town, yeah. I liked that. That was kind of a nice moment. And Herschel says it can always be good like this. And Rick responds with, well, it's good right now. Yep. And that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> if only he knew. We go back to the train car. And Rick says, they're going to feel pretty stupid when they find out that they're screwing with the wrong people. Yep. The end. So there you have it, man. There's our season finale. That was uh, very much like the uh, the line that um, Walter White said one time when his... Uh, I forget the exact line and I forget the exact situation, but somebody was after Walt and Skylar knew it. And he, uh, said, she said, I'm worried about you, uh, you being in danger. <laughs> yeah. And he said something along the lines of, no, you don't understand. I am the danger. It's funny that you, you bring that up in that this line was similar to that. It's actually a line almost straight out of the Walking Dead comic. <laughs> right. You know, he uses the F word instead of the screwing word, but still, 
Um, they they pulled that right out of the pages of the comic. Now, I kind of wish they'd said they're fucking with the wrong people. It would have been way more impactful. It would. And and AMC's gotten away with it before. Like speaking of Breaking Bad, Skyler said it once. Now it was kind of obscured by her like hitting something on the kitchen counter, but it was pretty clear when she said it. It all depends on what time of day that they said it. Like uh Yeah, but this show's on at nine PM. What Breaking, time was Breaking Bad on? I don't know, but probably no earlier than nine. Right. Well maybe it was on at ten, because if you you can get away with a lot more after ten. Really? Yeah, if you uh, between eight, uh, 9 and 10, you can't get away, to, away with as much as you can between 10 and 11. Okay, maybe you're right. But it, it occurred to me that if Skylar could say that while she, I don't know, hit a knife down on the table, just to obscure it a little bit with a sound effect, like why couldn't Rick like pound his hand on the door while he rattled off an F-bomb? Because he's not saying, uh, saying the F-word in a moment of exasperation. He's saying it very deliberately and menacingly. But to emphasize his point, he could be like, they're fucking with the wrong people. No, I don't think it. I don't think that works. I, I think that saying it as a, as an exasperation, like I'm upset, is fine. Okay. Uh, I don't think that uh, this this didn't go there. This was very menacing and very deliberate. So you couldn't really get away with obscuring it. All right. Maybe you're right about that. Maybe they could have had a car horn in the background. Beep. <laughs> Just as he said it, a car horn goes off. Somebody shut off the alarm. And, and then somebody put a flower in front of his mouth so you couldn't make out what he was saying. Right. But we all know that he was saying the F word. We all know. All right. So that is the episode. That's the season finale. Uh, I thought it was really, really awesome for the most part. Much, much more satisfying for me than the season three finale which if you recall i wasn't all that happy with right so they made up for it here i think now let's just talk about the wild dogs for a second okay before we get to the terminus people a little bit more um what did you feel how did you feel about the the sort of end of the storyline of the wild dogs to me it was satisfying if a little abrupt it was a little abrupt. It was a little early in the episode for dispatching this, uh, what they were setting up as a, uh, uh, you know, it was the bad guys for the last few episodes, right? Because mm -hmm. they hadn't gotten to Terminus yet, and uh, Terminus was supposed to be this uh, sanctuary place, and we were all, you know, for better or worse, supposed to believe that, hey, or at least hope it. This could be a place where they could get refuge, where they could be happy, where they could live out the rest of their days in boring kind of uh, monotony, and the show would just go into a big tank, and it would just be like uh, it turning into a you know a Farmville, essentially, or you know yeah. Plants vs Zombies Sit or whatever sitcom in Terminus. Yeah, it could have been turned into uh, you know Three's Company, really. So, uh, but that was supposed to be our hopes. So the bad guys were these wild dogs. Right, so this was this was the bad guys. Oh my God, they were going to catch up with Rick, and it was going to be a big showdown and a big deal. And then early on in the episode, it's just like, as soon as everybody, I saw everybody with their guns on our uh, on our intrepid heroes, and the guns were like, f you know, four inches or pressed right against people's heads. I was like, okay, that's going to be, it's just it's going to turn into a, a firefight mess, but everybody's going to be able to knock away weapons, and it's going to going to turn into uh, a scrap, but it's doable. Yeah, and and. I feel like there a lot happened in this episode, right? Yeah. And I feel like they almost crammed in two episodes worth of stuff into this one. Now, I don't want them to draw things out too long, but at the same time, slow-paced, interesting storytelling is good as well. But they got to this point where we'd 
we'd kind of seen a bunch of episodes featuring all the other characters, and now we had one episode left to deal with Rick, what's been happening with him and Michonne, the wild dog storyline, getting to Terminus, and telling us something about Terminus, too. Right. Meanwhile, they're traveling and getting there, you know? I would have liked to have seen this be a 90-minute episode. Actually, a 90-minute or a two-hour one would have been fantastic. Yeah. Um, but... So anyways, the wild dogs, it felt a little abrupt to me, although I'm glad they resolved it. Well, yeah. Clearly that's done. There's nothing else to say there. And uh, My first thought when it ended it. was, well, that was easy. I mean, obviously yeah. it wasn't easy because Rick was uh, traumatized by the whole situation. So was Carl. Michonne seemed fine with it. Uh, Rick, uh, sorry, uh, Daryl got the crap beat out of him, but, it, you know, it's Daryl. He'll be fine. Yep. Um, so it just, it seemed a little like, it was just like, okay, well, that's over. Well, yeah, that's that's kind of how I felt. But at the same time, I'm happy, and it was more or less satisfying. Those guys got what was coming to them. Right. Really. I mean, they were not very nice guys. Um, okay, so I was thinking about the whole plan or the whole concept or whatever that the Terminus people do here, right. what they've got going on. So they load all of these people who now at this point they know are know each other. They know this is a this is a group from, you know, that have have been together for a while. Right. And they load them all in the same train car together. That seems to me like a poor decision. Oh, it's horrible. Right? I it occurred to me that if they got all these people come in and they were strangers and they put them all in a train car together, that might work in Terminus's favor because these people might not get along. Like they might rebel against each other in this closed, confined space. Right. But when you have a team of people, a group of people that clearly, um, Rick even says, where are my people, right? Yeah. Or our people. They put them in a train car together. It seems like that is just creating the opportunity for them to mount a an offensive, sort of, like, or a yeah. retaliation. Well, their Wonder Twin powers are going to activate for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and to me, I was thinking one of the ways to break a team is to separate them. The governor knew this, right? He separated Glenn and Maggie, and he, he let them hear each other being tortured as a way to sort of break their spirit. Right. And it worked pretty well. I mean, it didn't ultimately work out for him, right? But still. And the Terminus people are doing the opposite. Instead of separating these people and keeping them away from each other, they're like, ah, you guys all go hang out in there, have time to think about what's going on, formulate a plan, and then come back and reattack us. Okay. So uh, let me, uh, you know, start skirting up to the edge of defending these people again. <clears throat> this might be, well, first of all, it's probably going to be their downfall. And second of all, it's because they've been complacent since nearly the beginning. Because they've had Terminus kind of set up and it's just this meeting place and it's sort of evolved into this thing. And it seems to be like they've been using this formula uh, of herding these people into train cars and then using them for uh, food, I assume, uh, for a long time. Right. So And they've been getting all of these people coming in in dribs and drabs. They don't get a group or a large organized group like this. They've never gotten this before. Mm -hmm. It's never been, you know, this well organized. And then um, have the, uh, whatever they were organized with, in this case the prison, break up. And then they all scatter and then they all end up here again. They've never had that situation before. It's always been in ones and twos, maybe fours at a maximum. And that's all they're thinking is that we have these... Uh, you know, smattering of people coming in. We heard them in. They never really are a problem. We've done this for, you know, going on two years now. Uh, you know, we're kind of, they're kind of set in their ways. 
So now we have, uh, you know, their perfect storm uh, that's going to bring them down is that this large, organized, determined, uh, you know, battle-hardened group that's uh, now together in one car. Right. Just, you know, Abraham's just going to basically flex his muscles and the doors are going to bust off. <laughs> and then Eugene's going to go, okay, I'll just think my way out of this. And then Rick will start blasting away with, uh, I assume, you know, just his sheer force of will. And uh, these people are all going to come tumbling down. Yeah. Now, they don't have any weapons, everybody, in the train car. But, yeah. It, it, they have Eugene's haircut. They have <laughs> uh, they have all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Okay. They have Daryl's got a knife. I bet you Daryl's got a knife somewhere. Oh, probably. He probably sewed it into his leg. Right. There's probably and a razor blade in his boot, and he's got a belt knife, and I bet you he's got uh, he's got a switchblade. I, I I wouldn't venture to guess where. Up his ass. <laughs> you would venture to guess where. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, anyways, that was. I think you're right. These people have been following this system for so long, and this is the. This is the moment that it's going to fail on them. And they put them all in the same place, right on the very edge of Terminus, right by the fence. The other thing that occurred to me about this is it's a it's a boxcar, like it's a train boxcar. Yeah. And the door that we saw Rick and everybody go in, it was right in the middle with some steps going up to right. it. Right. How the hell are the Terminus people going to get them out of there? They have to walk up to that door, open it, and then walk into a very enclosed space full of like 12 people. And it's not like the door is at one end. So you can't open the door and have everybody in front of you, right? Open the door, go in with weapons and have everyone in front of you. You open the door, you walk in and you're in the middle of the room. There's people on both sides of you if the people inside are thinking at all. So you walk in, you can't possibly deal with that. Someone's going to take you out. Oh, they can deal with cattle. Eat fairly easily. You just open the door and say, "Send somebody out. Send out the uh, you know the the brainiac." What? Why would anyone walk out though? Because they're gonna you know the the boxcar's not bulletproof. They're gonna throw a grenade in or something like that other and blow up their food. I I don't I don't I just see it as kind of an issue. Right. Like the if, door's in the middle. They have to go in there to get somebody out, or even if they don't, I mean, they can't really walk in there safely. First of all, only one or two people can go in at a time, and there's 12 damn people in there. Well, maybe they're used to dealing with people that are alone and afraid, and they say, send somebody out, and everybody's like, well, I'm not going out, but uh, I'm going to send this person out because they've been by themselves, and they just kind of you know, collectively grab them and, yeah. and hoist them out. I guess bottom line is Terminus hasn't had to deal with a group of this caliber yet. Right. And this is not going to end well for them. No, it's, it's funny how we're They're we're fucking so, with the wrong people. It's yeah, it's funny how you know, and I'm just realizing this now. It's it's funny how I'm so sure that Terminus is fucked here, not our group of heroes. Man, we're sweary tonight, aren't we? Yeah, a little bit. What are you gonna do? Yeah, it's the season finale. Yeah, uh, it's it's season just, fucking finale. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. If I could title the episode that, I would, but I don't think that'd be appropriate. I, anyways, I just think it's funny how sure I am that. You know, Terminus has made a fatal flaw here, not anybody else. Yeah. Not our group. I have faith in these people that they will get out of this situation. And they have a weapon cache just outside that fence somewhere. That's right. Just outside the fence. With Rick's uh, big heavy gun. Yeah. His python is out there. Um, okay. So one one last quick thing. Does this qualify as a cliffhanger? No. Yes, it does. Oh, sorry. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> 
by your standards. I wonder what's going to happen. No, but I no, mean... No, a cliffhanger is, uh, you know, they've got the, the earth surrounded by aliens and uh, they yell fire and we're like, oh my God, I don't know what's going to happen. Okay, but we're, we're almost at that point. The difference this season is that <clears throat> in the other seasons, there's always been months between seasons. The season has ended and... We pick up later on, and there's that option. They can't do that this time. Season well, maybe five, maybe they can. Maybe it'll be six months down the road, and each of them are missing an arm or a leg. Season five has got to begin at the very moment that this one ends. Don't you think so? No, I don't. And think frankly, so. Rick called it. He said these people are screwing with the wrong people. That is the cliffhanger right there. We have to know what he means by that. Well, of course, we know what they, what he means by that. I I think some time can pass. I think that. Uh, you know, there's other people, you know, maybe uh, they'll pass some time and then there'll be like, they'll be in a uh, a more secure area, each, you know, in their own little cages, whatnot. And there's like 20 other people there to, uh, to you know, 20 fat people that uh, are ready to be eaten <laughs> and barbecued. Um, you know, Carl's got to be, they got to leave Carl alone for at least five or six years. It's still a cliffhanger, even if we see half a season of people we've never seen before, which would drive me insane. Okay, so think of the end of season two when they panned up and you saw the prison. Did that Would that qualify as a cliffhanger for you? No. Oh my God, the prison. It's right there. I wonder what's going to happen. They're going to find the prison right now. That's not a cliffhanger. I, I don't think, you know, that's a very general shot. It's like they're living out in the forest. That's just a, a tease of what may or may not happen. I'm looking at the definition of cliffhanger. This is a group of people stuck in a train car amongst probable cannibals, and they need to escape. There is no story to tell until our heroes escape from that train car. That right. is why it's a cliffhanger. All right. So uh, the definition, a melodramatic serial in which each episode ends in suspense. A suspenseful situation occurring at the end of a chapter, scene, or episode. Qualifies. You think that there's... Uh, okay, I recognize that there is suspense, but I'm not entirely convinced that this is... I will ad at the very least say this is not what I would consider a cliffhanger. Okay, but it's not a snake in the mailbox either. No, it's not a snake in the mailbox, and that's what I was expecting. I was expecting be uh, Beth on meat hooks, right? So it's not that either, and I, I'm not, I, I wouldn't argue that, but I'm not entirely sure that this is, fits what I would think of as a cliffhanger. Okay, fine. I <laughs> almost think, I almost wish Beth on Meat Hooks was the, was the end, because that would have uh, been amazing. They, they didn't resolve Beth. No. And I, I wish they, I kind of wish they would have. Maybe we'll get uh, Beth webisodes over the, uh, the next half, half, or the hiatus. Can we please call them Bethisodes, though? Be Beth, web of Bethisodes. Just Bethisodes is fine. Bethisodes, okay. All right. Well, that's our season finale, everybody. I thought it was pretty awesome, and uh, I hope everyone else enjoyed it as well. How many well. one-eyed mutts out of five would you give it? Oh, well, I, you're not, I'm not allowed to split them in half, right? <laughs> no, you can split them in half. All right. I'm this gonna... time I'll, I'll allow it because my rules are random. Of course they are. Uh, at least 4.5, maybe 4.75 one-eyed mutts out of five. Okay. It was a good episode. It was a good episode. I give it uh, four fully-fledged one-eyed mutts plus uh, an arm and a leg and part of a tail. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty solid right there. You know, this is one of my favorite episodes of the whole four seasons, I'll be honest with you. I think they did a really good job 
again paying off with a with a, an exciting thrilling episode if they had to rush it a little bit it did seem a little rush and that uh, that would be my major complaint of this episode was uh, and as as a season finale is that they rushed the wild dogs i think that ended a little too abruptly mm-hmm. and i would have liked to have been lulled into a sense of complacency a little bit more in uh, Terminus before they were chased into uh, into the boxcar. Fully agree with that. Uh, Ninety minutes or two episodes yeah. would have would have uh, served it a little bit better. But for what they did, I thought it worked pretty well, despite some minor pacing problems. Right. All right. We are going to take a quick break to thank all of our supporters for this. Uh, for this podcast, all of you who have gone over to patreon.com slash the talking dead and supported us. When we come back, we've got a surprise segment for y'all. And then we're going to get into the holy crap. Did you see that moments for this episode? So we're going strong here. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. Today's podcast is brought to you by the support of you, the listeners. Y'all. That's right, as I said. Patreon.com slash The Talking Dead is where you can go to pledge us a small portion of your hard-earned cash to help keep the lights on and the mics hot here. And we have different levels of support. Three out of the four of them come with a promise that you will be thanked on the air. So that's what we're here to do right now. At our silver supporting level, we would like to send a big thank you out to Mark Gabriniak. Ga- oh, this this is Gabriniak. Gabriniak. It's a bad start already. Sorry, Mark. Uh, also, Glenn, Tori, Lynn, Jason, Manwaring, Ian, Murdy, Pete, Stan Taylor, and Monica Wood. And at the gold level, we have Mark Cole, Glenn Bush, uh, Oren Dix. Aaron M. Gleason, Mike Hogan, Barbara McDevitt. Uh, what do we got here? Where am I? Alana McNaughton and Tyson. Uh-oh. Strachnetter? I think that qualifies. Tyson Strachnetter. Tyson Strachnetter. Thank you very much. That's gold-level Patreons? Patreons. Patrons. Patrons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And coming in at the platinum level, Doug Benton, Bernard, Lori Cherney or Cerny, I apologize, I don't know. Hakuna, Dave Harris, Matt, and Matthew Shaver. A big thank you to everyone who has pledged a little bit uh, towards the show. You can do so at patreon.com slash the talking dead. Now, just a quick note before we move on. Those of you who will be getting rewards, such as postcards, they will be going out uh, very, very soon. I'm We're new to Patreon, so I'm not 100% sure exactly how it works yet. But as soon as the first pledge has been collected, that's when we're going to be organizing the postcards and sending them out. So um, I don't know if that happens sort of at the beginning of each month or if it's staggered throughout the month, but we'll find out. 
But uh, please be patient, and you will be receiving your reward. And the platinum level uh, people who are getting the um, custom zombie sketches by friend of the show Dave, we're going to get those all organized too. But because Dave needs some time to actually do those sketches and get organized, they may take a touch longer, but uh, we'll get them out as fast as we can. Awesome, awesome. But... In the end, a big thank you to everyone that has pledged money towards the show. And if you want to become one of those people, you can go to patreon.com slash the talking dead. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Now it's time for the second, uh, the second ever on-air taste test of a product. This is a segment I like to call <laughs> Crazy Cheese Taste Test. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> so last year sometime, I don't know, I don't even remember how it came up, but we, we decided to each do a shot of pickle juice on the air. And uh, that I, turned out okay. I loved it. Yeah, it was. It wasn't too bad. I've got a jar of pickle of char, jar of pickles at home right now that I'm thinking about uh, taking a shot of. <laughs> I had a pickle this afternoon yeah. from my jar of pickles at home, and it was uh, it was quite delicious and reminded me of when we did a shot of pickle juice. Well, we're here to do it again, everybody, with something else. This time, we are going to honor uh, Michonne's appearance on the show with a can of crazy cheese. Can I have one of those? Yeah, you can. It says... Uh, in real life, this is called Easy Cheese. Easy when I was, Cheese. When I was in Chicago a couple of weeks ago for Walker Stalker Con, I picked up a couple cans of this stuff because we don't have this here in Canada. No, I'm. this is all brand new to me. We don't have aerosol spray can cheese that you don't need to refrigerate, apparently, according to the package. Although it is an excellent source of calcium, it says. Anyways, we have a jar version of this, but I, I'm not sure I've ever even eaten that. But... Spray cheese is something that's new to me. So I decided to pick up a couple of cans, and we're going to try it right here. Okay, so this uh, I'm, the can I have is uh, cheddar, and it says that it's made with real cheese. Yeah, yeah, mine is called American. And, and then on the other side it says pasteurized cheese snack. So I question the validity of uh, <laughs> cheese. And, then, and okay, on the, on the plus side, uh, it does say easy cheese, and they've spelled cheese correctly. And that's very important. So it's not with a Z. If it was with a Z, it could be anything. But this actually says cheese on it. Right. And made with real cheese. Like we, we looked at real cheese and we made it look like real cheese as much as we possibly could. Okay. So I bought one can of American and one can of cheddar, which you've yep. got. And according to the can, there's also bacon and cheddar flavor. Yeah, I noticed that. I don't know why I didn't get that. And I'm, then sharp I'm, cheddar. I'm going to the States again next week so just to get bacon flavor. Are you supposed to shake this or not? It says, for best results, remove cap, hold applicator tip close to food, press tip firmly, and move slowly across food surface. Okay, we don't have any food surface. No, so we're <laughs> gonna, Okay, so it's right into your mouth or, or into your hand first? There's nothing about shaking it, though. Are we going to shake it? No, nothing about shaking I'm it. I'm so putting it's, a, some on just on a finger here. <laughs> I hope it doesn't go everywhere. I have no idea what to expect. <laughs> 
Oh God, people! I hope this is this is uh, worth listening to. And if this is not the kind of thing you want to, oh, not the kind of thing you want to hear on here, let us know. But for us, this is hilarious and fun. I so got a little bit on my finger now. I'm going straight into my mouth. How was it? <laughs> That's not bad. All right, here we go. Hold on. Right down my hatch. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> And just shot himself in the face with canned cheese. <laughs> it tastes like that stuff, you know, when you get the uh, the crackers and cheese. Did you get for a snack in a, in <clears throat> in lunches? Yeah, yeah. It tastes like that kind of cheese. It does. It does. It, ta- <laughs> it tastes like. Uh, you're right. It tastes like that sort of sc- spreadable, creamy type cheese. I approve. Not. I, I don't know that this really tastes all that much like cheese, but I guess it does. It's cheese-ish. It's cheese-ish. Exactly. Um, now the next test is to see if my kids will eat this. I'm sure they would. <laughs> no, I'm, you'd be surprised. They're weird. It says cheese right on it. I know, but they don't eat a lot of cheese. Don't show it to them. Just put it on crackers and say, eat this. Eat this. And then show them where it comes from. It's kind of nasty looking. Well, it's sort of like whipped cream, but cheese. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly it. Well, I, all right. Hopefully the uh, chewing and cheese sucking noises haven't offended anyone too much. And um, I approve. We can move on. It's not as <clears throat> it's not as terrible as I thought it would be. Not quite, but yeah. Take a drink of something. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, that was fun. Um, there you go. Let's uh, get back to the regular scheduled program and do some of this. Holy crap! Did you see that? Well, Jason, that was fun. We ate cheese on the air. Spray, yeah. spray cheese. Spray cheese. What's next? Holy crap, did you see that? And there were a lot this week. So um, a fair bit of overlap, too. A lot of people sending in the same ones. So I apologize that we can't get everybody's holy crap on the air. Uh, But we've got a lot here. And uh, do I start? You sure do. Okay, the first one is a call from Bianca in Manila, Philippines. Hi, this is Bianca again from Manila, Philippines. I'm calling with regards to the season finale. Uh... Well, I have a few holy crap moments. First off was um, when Rit got the guy. I thought it was enough that he bit the other one, then he did that. So that was a little shocking. And second was, um, I think Norman Reedus has some contract agreement about how much can be done to his face during an episode, because he looked pretty neat for someone who was supposedly going to be beaten to death. But I'm just teasing. I'm a Daryl Dixon fan and Norman Reedus fan. And lastly, of course, my heart skipped my heart skipped skipped a beat when I saw that orange backpack. Anyway, that's all for now. Thanks so much for all the podcasts this season, and looking forward to what we're going to do over the hiatus. Keep smiling. Bye. Thank you, Bianca. Um, yeah, it was it was fun to uh, to see all that uh, all that stuff that was recognizable at Terminus because. You know, Rick was noticing it, but I don't know about you, but it was... Oh, I noticed the backpack. Oh, the backpack I noticed immediately, but then the riot gear, I was like, is that the same riot gear? I, I mean, assumed it was the same riot gear. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't catch the, uh, uh, the poncho the first time, and I didn't catch the chain. I just thought he was looking at his pocket going, oh my God, he's got a pocket, he's got cargo pants, get him, get him, Rick, get him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't see the watch either the first time through, but after I was like, oh, it's a chain, I guess he's assuming, but... Uh, Poncho, neither did I. I didn't catch that the first time because she was sitting down. You couldn't really see it as much, but it uh, it, it was fun to spot all that stuff. It yeah. was a clever, it was a clever way to have Rick figure out what was going on. I thought, right? 
And as far as Daryl Dixon goes, I assumed those two guys were doing a lot of body work on Daryl. Right. And you know, you don't you don't mess with the face. This was uh, you know, Anchorman fight rules where you you don't mess with the face, you do a lot of body work. He's probably going to be pissing blood for like a week and a half. Oh god. <clears throat> that is nasty. Uh okay. Who's next? Nope, oh, that's me. Okay, we have a call from Alicia in Big Sur, California. I think maybe it's Alicia. Alicia. Let's let her introduce herself, shall we? Deal. Hello, Chris and Jason. This is Alicia in Big Sur, California. Well, you were right. My holy crap, <laughs> did you see that was the poncho at the end when they're at Terminus and they see the girl, Rick observes the girl in the poncho and just knows. And just an episode before that, I saw Maggie in the poncho. I'm like, how did she end up with Daryl's poncho? So the poncho is my holy crap. Did you see that? Aside from my many other astute observations, that is the one I want to share with you, the poncho. Pendleton making a comeback. Thanks, guys. Love the show. Bye. So I included that because she mentioned that uh, Maggie had it on in the episode before, right. which I didn't pick up on. No, I didn't catch that either. Um, I wonder how Maggie got that poncho. She picked it off a clothesline? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I don't see why Stole not. Stole it from Daryl while he was sleeping. That's probably it. I'm taking that, sucker. <laughs> All right, one more call, and we have got... This comes from Hardboiled Greg in Manitoba. Wow. Hey, guys. This is Hardboiled Greg calling from Manitoba. My holy crap, did you see that moment from last night's finale? Was that Rick illustrating, directing the rabbit through the snare, was foreshadowing his group being directed to the train car with gunfire. thought that was pretty neat. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Greg. Uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. He he explains how the rabbit is herded, or the prey is herded through, gets caught in a yep. snare, and that's exactly what happened to them later in the episode. Well, 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 well. Yeah. I didn't even catch that. Thanks, Greg. All right, so now we have, uh, there's a couple of emails. First was from Naomi in Prosser, uh, Washington, and Maria from Spartanburg, South Carolina. Uh, so we have, holy crap, did you see that whole episode? From Rick biting the guy's throat out to the huge pile of human bones and screaming coming from the two train cars beside the bones. To call Carl almost being raped and Daryl offering himself as a sacrifice for Rick, Carl, and Michonne. Wow. I don't know. Sorry, Naomi from Prosser, Washington. I don't know if... Uh... <laughs> I didn't put your email in there. Was I supposed to? Oh, I just assumed that, that uh, Naomi and Maria were... were had a similar Basically one, similar. yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually, I sometimes want to mention people when they have <laughs> similar holy craps, but uh, anyways, Maria, the whole episode. So maybe Naomi was saying the whole episode too. Well, let's just assume that uh, that must you be didn't it. make a mistake. I wouldn't do that. No, no. Um, thank you for those. It was a the whole episode was pretty much holy crap. Next one is Cindy in South Carolina. The look on Carl's face while watching Rick brutally stab to death the man who had attempted to rape him. Chandler Riggs did an amazing job communicating with just a look, his fear, horror, and shock at what was happening. Yeah. He did. And, you know, I think Chandler is getting better and better. Yeah. You know, he's he's gone from a really innocent-looking kid who'd almost never acted before to a guy, to a young man who can who can carry a scene and almost carry a whole episode. I thought for sure that Carl was going to get a hold of that knife he was going after when uh, the big fat guy was uh, trying to rape him because mm -hmm. there was a knife that he almost got. Yep. I thought for sure that this guy was going to get stabbed right in the throat by Carl. That would have been <laughs> awesome. But uh, yeah, I agree with uh, I, I agree with you that uh, Chandler Riggs is doing a fantastic job. 
So next we have uh, Mark from what's left of the real Jersey Shore. Mm-hmm. After coming up, uh, coming up to the fence at Terminus, Rick stares, uh, states in one breath, we all spread out, watch for a while, see what we see, get ready, we all stay close. Well, Rich, Rich, Rick, <laughs> which one is it? Spread out or stay close? Did you catch that? <laughs> well, I believe Mark in that he said that. So he said stay close and then spread out. No, I noticed that too the first time that uh, that he said that. It's like, okay, spread out, but stay close. <laughs> and keep your eyes open, your head down. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it kind of reminded me of uh, when there was a, a quote from The Simpsons where... Uh, Bart is trying to tell somebody else how to do a, how to work a Rubik's cube, right? And he says, "I think it's his mom that's doing it." And he says, "Okay, turn the middle side topwise." <laughs> okay, so spread out and stay close. Keep your head down, and your eyes peeled. It kind of makes <clears throat> sense. He's like, "Let's just spread out a little bit so we can get a better view, but don't go too far. Stay close. Get some rest, but stay alert." <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, Stephen from LBC writes, My holy crap, did you see that moment last night was just before Glenn stepped out of the shadows. I thought like maybe they could all be walkers. It was a bit scary because they had to know it was Rick as they came in, yet they didn't say anything and just stood there in the dark. Hmm. Can you imagine if Rick and them walked in there and Glenn, Maggie, Stooky Monster, Sasha, everybody else were zombies in there? Oh, that that'd be crazy. would have been shocking. That would have been a cliffhanger. Because then it would just cut away, and it'd be like, holy crap. Something is about to happen. What's going to happen now? Okay. All right, so next we have Ash in Oldham, UK. My holy crap is that no major characters died in the finale or even in the second half of the season. Based on previous seasons' deaths or in or before the finale, it is to be expected since anyone can die any time. So this was a genuine surprise. It kind of is. Everyone expected somebody major to die in the season finale. Surprise, no one died. It, it is a surprise. I mean, every... Now, if someone was going to die, it would have been in the last episode. Right. Right? Because they do they do the killing in the one before the finale to get it out of the way and make sure, you know, people don't see it coming. And they didn't do that. So, in all of season four, Jason, who was the only main cast member to die? Herschel? Herschel. Anybody else? Well, the governor. Yeah, you're right, the governor. But he was a villain, anyways. Yeah, but, you know, he died. Definitely main cast. Yeah. I totally agree with you, but non-villain? Herschel. Yeah. That's one death in all of season four. That's the fewest we've had, I think. And I predicted it all the way back at the beginning of season three. (laughs) That's right. Just like we (laughs) predicted Beth's death three years ago or whatever, and it's still coming. All right, Amanda from Cary, North Carolina writes in, and uh, I hate to do this, everyone, but there is kind of a spoiler for Soylent Green in here. Okay, so this is a spoiler from the movies in the, from a movie, a Charlton Heston movie in the 60s. Is that right? That's right. Okay. I am not going to worry too much about it, but I just If they want... spoof it on The Simpsons, it's not a spoiler. Fair enough. Amanda writes, holy crap, did you see the that amount of meat on the grill? Could this be the first of the Soylent Green factories in the making? That's right. There you go. So Thank that, you, Amanda. All right, next we have Josephine in Vancouver. Another holy crap moment was the fact that Terminus leader called Rick, Daryl, Michonne, and Carl, ringleader, archer, samurai, and kid. 
The Terminus people did not want to know the names of their food source, so by calling them by these names, it dehumanizes Rick and the gang and makes it feel easier for the Terminus community to eat them later on. This is a direct callback to the first episode of Season 4 when Rick scolded Carl for naming the pig Violet. I like this one a lot because I think it's a really, really fascinating point that they would... Uh, that they would assign them these descriptive names so they don't have to learn their real names because it's harder to eat someone whose name you know. Right. And when you think about it, that's been a theme of season four. They named the pigs, but but uh, but Rick was saying, don't bother because they're just pigs. We're going to eat them. They were feral 10 minutes ago, apparently, too. And Lizzie was naming the zombies. Right. Right. So naming things is is kind of a theme throughout this whole season. And... Josephine here is smart enough to pick up on it in this final final episode when uh, it didn't really occur to me as being anything other than kind of funny descriptions of our characters. I have an assignment for our listeners. Let's let's hear it. Write in your thoughts of the names they would have called the other people in that are that's in the boxcar. So uh, Maggie and Glenn and Tara and. Uh, uh, all the other Stucky monster, Stucky monster, and Sasha. All those people. They needed to have names. What are they? Abraham, Rosita, and Eugene. Yes. So that's all of them. So yeah, I want to hear what their names would have been too. Yeah, that's a great idea. Some of them are obvious. Some of them not so obvious. Like you, I mean, um, Eugene. Yeah, Eugene. He's he's mullet. mullet. Yeah. <laughs> and Abraham is Muscles McGee, of course. Yeah. Right. And but the rest. Could could be anything. Could be anything. I got a couple other ideas, but I, let's leave it up to the listeners. All right, let's just try and stay away from racist remarks, just a little bit. <laughs> Not entirely, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Let's let's stay away from that. Try to make it humorous. I want to hear what everyone's terminus name is. Yes. In fact, this could be a whole thing. Well, yeah, and tell us what your terminus name would be too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we got to come up with a terminus naming system. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Um, who's next? Me, you. Justin, in Singapore. Yeah. My holy crap, did you see that? Was when Rick called Daryl his brother. Loved it. Great acting and emotion from the actors, and it really shows a progression from season one when Daryl threw squirrels at him. <laughs> I hope we get many more seasons with these two actors. I hope we get more squirrel tossing. Yeah. I want to see a bandolier of squirrels thrown at somebody by, uh, by Daryl in the future. And an ear necklace. Oh, yeah, the ear necklace. That was yeah. just weird. <laughs> a little bit. All right, so now we have Anna in, uh-oh, uh, Lily Minak, Lanny Minak in Wales, Wales. UK. Yeah. Uh, Hannah, Anna has the same uh, comment as Justin, but added, when Rick told Daryl he was his brother, only on The Walking Dead can you get such a heart-meltingly sweet moment juxtaposed with the moment a couple of minutes earlier when Rick bit someone's throat out. Amazing. Yeah, I I wanted to include both of those because Anna was saying that uh, it, she pointed out the juxtaposition between what just happened and and this this moment of male bonding here. Right, I liked it. Jose in upstate New York, I loved how Rick just turned into an unstoppable force when he saw that slime ball with his hands on his son. My adrenaline was fired up as soon as that man took Carl out of the truck, and when Rick took a chomp out of Joe, I went ape shit bonkers. As a father of three very young girls, that's the way I pray that I would respond to my if my kiddos were in any danger. Yeah, totally. He stabbed that guy good with right. his teeth. <clears throat> well, he bit uh, yeah, he bit that guy, but then he stabbed the guy that was trying oh. to rape his son. Right. Yeah. 
So Scott in New Jersey, my holy crap! Did you see that? Was when Rick and gang magically freeze frame, uh, freeze frame time like a video game and killed all of Daryl's new group. Come on, obviously I'm happy to see they survived, but don't get them so deep in a hole that it's hard to believe uh, the way they get out. I think Jason, you've already kind of addressed that with your whole gun right up to the side of the head thing. That, according to you, gives people options for escape. Right. So the the scenario of them getting out of this this hijacking or this ambushing is not so crazy. Right. So these guys juxtaposed with the uh, the people at Terminus, you know, these these guys got in close. They got in real personal. This was a very personal vendetta. They got uh, very personal with these people. Whereas with uh, Terminus, these people were very distant and in control and had a better uh, a better control over the whole situation. Even though they made a f- fatal flaw later of putting them all in the same train car. Yeah, that was just dumb. You, you know, you, 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 you shackle them up uh, each to their own post. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. If I had to, uh, you know, put humans in bondage, that's what I would do. Good. Glad you've got that all uh, thought through. Yeah, with, with a poop bucket. Because <laughs> yeah. everybody needs a poop bucket. That's just inhuman if you don't have one of those. Yes, yeah, that's right. Paul from Stafford, England. Holy crap, did you see Rick completely ignore his own plan B? What was the point of burying the bag of guns in the woods if he was going to rashly hold someone up at the first sign of trouble? Surely the better plan would have been to calmly take his friends to one side, perhaps advise them not to eat the meat, and then sneak out at the first opportunity to do some digging. Yeah. Do you? Th- I agree with that, but do you think there would ever be a scenario here where Rick and everyone would be able to get away enough so that they could leave or sneak out. I don't think so. You know, That's we, the problem. Hindsight is twenty twenty, but maybe Rick saw this, that uh, maybe he saw already that there was no way out. There's just, there's nothing they could do. They're already trapped in the snare. They're already in the trap. So the only thing to do was to get the upper hand in any way that he could. So grab somebody, use them as a meat shield, try and get out of there. Yeah, and I think at that very moment, he he mentioned that he sees, like he, he saw their guy on the roof, right? So he probably already knew that there was that sniper on the roof. And he's thinking... We're never going to get to a place where we can have enough alone time to actually sneak out of here unseen. Right. The only problem with this uh, possibility is that Rick doesn't grab the guy and start negotiating their freedom. He grabs the guy and starts asking questions. Right? Where'd you find the where'd watch? You find, where'd you find the watch? Where? Why? What about the poncho and that kind of stuff? Uh, so that kind of leads me to believe that maybe he didn't know what was going on and was acting rashly, similar to what Paul was saying. I wonder if it would have been a better um, approach for Rick to grab the guy, like you said, and not let on that he realizes that his other people are here somewhere. Don't let them know that. Just, I don't know, pretend like he's had a change of heart or he's suddenly gone crazy right. or he's he's picked up on something else like he recognizes a foot on the barbecue or something like that, and he just wants to get out of there. <laughs> Isn't that a foot? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think I want to eat that. Uh, Daryl would eat that because he, he, he ate the pickled pig's feet. Yeah, he totally and, and how is that hoof different than a person's foot? Really, yeah. really not different at all. But if if Rick hadn't immediately showed his hand, and it was like... He did. He showed his hand. He's like, I know what's going on here, and this isn't going to work out for us. If he just grabbed the guy, everyone else put their guns up at that moment too, right? Um I mean, Daryl and Michonne and everybody. 
if they'd sort of huddled together and somehow, I don't know, moved their way out of there, I mean, I guess Terminus, the people on the roof would have still just tried to shoot them, but they didn't really want to shoot them because they want to eat them. Right. Well, two things happened right then, when uh, right after Rick grabbed, uh, grabbed grabbed the guy for the meat shield. First off, uh, they shot the meat shield. Did you notice that? They, like, didn't, they, they didn't shoot Alex. He, yes, they did. He's dead. Alex is dead. Somebody shot him in the head. While Rick was holding him? Or Rick shot him. He's dead. His body was lying on the ground. Shit, I didn't see that. Uh, second of all, uh, how many people were in that courtyard? Ten? Quite a few. That's the ones we could see. Yeah. You know, add another uh, five for that for people that we couldn't see. Mm-hmm. So that's 15, you know, 12 to 15 people all pointing their weapons at four people with absolutely zero cover because Meat Shield got shot. These people all open up <clears throat> and all four of them get away without getting injured. That... Uh, Makes me right there. I was thinking, uh, okay, they're not really shooting at us. Mm-hmm. And if I was standing in that situation and I knew that there was all these people, like I don't care how how bad aim they are, they're all pointed in our general direction. If none of us got shot immediately, I would start thinking, okay, they're we're not really shooting at us. This is not Star Wars. These are not stormtroopers. They have better aim than stormtroopers because stormtroopers are just absolutely horrible. Right. So. Uh, I would, I, I would worry. I would first of all dive for cover. I would knock over the barbecue and use that for cover. I would, uh, you know, grabbing Carl and running away. That's one thing. If you happen to, you know, when remember when Han Solo ran around the corner and he ran into the group of the uh, mm-hmm. stormtroopers and they yeah, turned yeah. around and went. When you, when you surprise them and they start shooting, it's all random. Yes, right. It's not. It, you don't just take their bad aim into account. They might actually hit you because it's all random and they're afraid because they're stormtroopers. Yeah, that's not. This is not that situation. This is a whole bunch of people that are ready to pull the trigger, point it at you. They've had a chance to aim. Yes. But see, if if Rick and everyone had realized at this moment that they weren't trying to kill them, what could it hurt to stand there and return fire? I mean, I guess they they would at that point decide to kill them. Yeah, they probably would. Instead, they run away because they're trying to get to cover and and then later they realize that I don't think they're trying to kill us but that by that point it's too late all right so I'm gonna give you a bit of wisdom that uh, somebody gave me during basic training when I uh, was in the reserves <laughs> when I was 18 okay all right <clears throat> is this gonna be either when someone's pointing a gun at you either always run away or never run away this has to do with ambush okay a uh, an unsuccessful or a successful ambush kills everybody that's being ambushed an unsuccessful ambu- ambush kills 90% of the people being ambushed. When in an ambush, uh, this is a, a similar situation to this because you have a whole bunch of people that have time to zero in on you and aim and you don't have a lot of cover or choice or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't stand there and start firing back because you will die. Right. What you do is you run, but you run towards the enemy. You run right into their lines because uh, that way... As soon as they turn to shoot at you, they are now, if they miss you, they will hit somebody that is one of their allies. Right. So you always just run into their lines. That's you don't run away. Tough to... Uh, it's tough. Tough but, to do in the heat of the moment. But knowing that 90%, you know, a failed ambush kills 90%, the, the only choice you have is to run into their lines. So that's right. what they should have done right then and there is run towards those people. Right. Okay. Uh, I think there was a better chance of them all being killed if they did that. But 
How do you do that? At well, the moment? they didn't know that they were being, uh, you know, herded into a particular area for, you know, being you know, put into a boxcar. Yeah. They thought that they were being shot at and tried. They were trying to kill them. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's it's tough, but it's uh, it's it's an unwinnable situation when you're in you're in that situation. When you're the one being ambushed, yeah. Right. What do you do? Where are we? Our work. So we got uh, <laughs> completely off track here. Tiana. I think so, yeah. Uh, in Seattle. My holy crap, did you see that moment? Was the second Rick bit into the neck of another human being. I instantly knew we were going cannibalistic at the end. Uh, the comparison is too obvious to ignore. Both sides will do whatever it takes to survive, even biting into human flesh. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a foreshadow, you know. Here, bite this guy, and then later you're going to be eaten. Yep. Mario from Anaheim, California. My holy crap moment was Rick's epic kill. Ripping Joe's throat out is a killer combination with the instincts of Walker and the intelligence of a human. Oh. He's learning from the Walkers. Yes. All right, so we have Angel in Puerto Rico. My holy crap moment for this finale was the pile of bloody bones that Rick, Daryl, Carl, and Michonne passed while fle fleeing from the Terminus shootout. To me, it confirmed the fact that people here seem to share the walker's taste for human flesh. Yum. Yeah, and a lot of people sent that in, so I wanted to throw it in there. Thanks to everyone who did. David in North Carolina also had the same point, but he added, On second viewing, these bones clearly include human rib cages, spinal columns, and what appear to be skulls. Yes, Virginia, there are cannibals. I'm not sure what that means, what but, that I, mean? but I like it. Okay. So we have uh, Ken in Sacramento. Holy crap that Rick Grimes is a great planner. When Rick went to Terminus, he chose to leave his trusty Python revolver behind and take the automatic pistol that he took from Joe. When he got the gun back from the Terminus gang, he set it into his holster on his police belt, and it fit in nicely. There is no way any automatic would fit properly in the form-fitting leather holster that Rick carries his Python in. It was uh, This was obvious... A holster design, obviously a holster design for the type of automatic. It probably didn't come from Joe. He carried his pistol tucked in his waistband of his pants. So obviously, Rick Grimes has been carrying an extra leather police holster designed to hold an automatic like Joe's on the off chance that he might find one. And he remembered to bring it with him when the prison fell. Holy crap. That's good planning. <laughs> it, it really is. <laughs> it really is. I'm just going to take this just in case. Yeah, you always carry as many holsters as you can find. I always do, just in case. I, I, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't leave the house with my collection without the. I wouldn't leave the house without my collection of holsters. I got three in the car. There you go. <laughs> just holsters. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, Sean from California writes, "My holy crap! Did you see that? Is the man in the woods getting bit on the face and killed? I don't think we've ever seen that on the show before. That's the guy who got his eyeball bit out." Yeah, he even had glasses on. He had eye protection on, and he still got uh, bit on the face. Yeah, it was pretty gross. Like, it was an up-close graphic shot, which I know we've seen a lot of on this show, but this one was extra disgusting. Nicotero, you know, came through here once again by upping the ante of showing us something gory and disgusting. Yep, good work. All right. That is all the holy craps. If you've got more to send in, send them in, and we will read a few more on Wednesday's feedback show. We've got lots of feedback already, so uh, keep sending it in, though. We'll, we'll do an, another uh, long feedback show. Man, oh, man, we're crossing the two-hour mark here, I think. Um, so uh, there you go. Season four is done, Jason. Done like dinner. Done like dinner. 
We will be announcing the winner of our Record Your Favorite Scene Contest again on uh, Wednesday, just to remind you. And, uh, you know, I really, really, really enjoyed having those sent in. So I think maybe we should make it a thing. Even if it's not a contest all the time, people should just record themselves doing scenes and sending it to us and we'll play them because I think it's fun. That would be fun. And hopefully you all out there do as well and you'll keep sending them in. All right. Well, it may not be a contest going forward, but uh, if you do record one and send it in, we will play it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And send in your Terminus names. Yes. We want to hear names for everyone else in the boxcar and your own. That would be awesome. And uh, I think that'll ride us right through the summer into season five. (laughs) (laughs) We got to think of something to do for the summer. We got, there's always news. There's going to be casting. There's going to be uh, production stuff. We might do an actor spotlight. Yeah. In, in the next, well, in the next little while, I definitely want to review the second half of Fall of the Governor. Yeah. Of the book. I want to talk about the video game a little bit more. Yep. Uh, which I've played now. So you got to play chapter two of season two. I do. And, um, and like you said, yeah, there's Walking Dead news. Maybe we'll do another actor spotlight. And uh, got a couple other ideas that were, you know, rolling around in my head. So we, there will be lots of fun things to do over the summer. But the first thing is Wednesday. We still got to get through Wednesday's feedback show. So oh, let's, yeah. let's not get ahead of ourselves too much. And, uh, Okay, so what else? If you want to contact us, give us a call, 1-866-483-9662. That is the toll-free zombie line, or zomb line. Still haven't really figured out what you call that. I like zombie, because okay. it ends with a B. Zombie. It, it does. Uh, go to Twitter, at Talking Dead, or Facebook, facebook.com slash the Talking Dead. You can also, of course, go to our website and use the Send a Voicemail button. That is one of the best ways to send us an audio clip of your thoughts. Or you can email talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone that supports us on Patreon. You can also use our Amazon link at amazon.talkingdeadpodcast.com when you do all your shopping there. And uh, I think I've talked enough now. So we'll be back on Wednesday, everyone. Until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. Do you have crackers? Like, how are we supposed to eat this? Uh, you're supposed to squirt it in your mouth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I agree. <laughs>